ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهدي الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به وارحام ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطيع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد ان استقل كلام كلام الله وخير هدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر امور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلال في النار I begin with the praises of Allah and I seek his aid and I praise him and I seek refuge in Allah SWT from the wickedness of our actions and the evil consequences of our deeds whoever Allah guides none uh, can send astray and whoever he sends astray none can guide and I bear, we- I bear testimony that there is none who is worthy of worship except for Allah and who is alone without partner and I bear testimony that Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is his slave and his messenger O oh, you who believe fear Allah as he should be feared and do not die except that you are Muslims O oh, mankind fear Allah who has created you from one soul and created from its soul its meat and spread among you and spread from you many men and women and fear Allah by which you ask of the rights of the wombs and know that Allah is ever watchful over you O oh, you who believe fear Allah <coughs> o you who believe for Allah and say a good word he will correct your actions and forgive you your sins and whoever obeys Allah and his messenger for verily he is of the successful in the best and the most truthful hadith or words are the words of Allah SWT. and the best guidance is the guidance of the Prophet wasallam. and the worst affairs are those which are invented and every invented thing is going astray and everything going astray is going into the hellfire <coughs> today inshallah ta'ala I want to talk and I plan to talk about the word shahada we all know I think in this masjid since we are all Muslims that no one becomes a Muslim until he testifies this word and says these words Ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna Muhammad Rasulullah often there is a lot of emphasis in explaining what the meaning la ilaha illallah is and I thought it interesting to talk and important to explain what this word ashhadu means what the word shahada means and its wider implications uh, we also know that this is the in the adhan when we said you know where we say Allahu Akbar Allahu Akbar Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah we call it out very loud and this is what is called all over the Muslim world and there's also the relation of this word to the idea of the shahada fi sabilillah to have the martyrdom in dying in the way of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the word shahad shahada when we say ashhadu 
Ibn Qayyim, a very famous uh, scholar in the centuries past, wrote a very interesting like article and treatise about this word shahad and the idea of shahada. And he mentioned that there, that of course, like most of the Arabic words, it has a very comprehensive meaning, and there are different degrees of shahada or different levels of shahada. Unless someone passes through all these levels of shahada, it is not said that he has done the shahada which is acceptable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The first point or the first level or the first degree of the shahada is to have the knowledge, to know that which you are testifying about. And this is that you have the imprint upon your senses and you understand and you, and, you, and you know with these senses that which you have about to testify about. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions in the Quran in a verse where He says, إِلَى مَنْ شَهَدَ بِالْحَقِّ وَهُمْ يَعْلَمُونَ Except that they testify by the truth and they are knowledgeable and they have knowledge of that which they are testifying about. The second thing the second level after having this knowledge is that someone he speaks this testimony he doesn't necessarily speak it to anyone else he speaks it within himself and when you speak something to yourself you're remembering it because if you know something and then you forget it and of course it doesn't have much value because it was just something that passed by your brain and then you forgot it like a lot of the knowledge or a lot of the information that we have we're in the so called information age where the stuff goes in one ear and goes out the other ear, we flash it on the screen and then we delete it and so on and so forth. That's not the kind of knowledge that we're talking about. We're talking about the knowledge which you remember and the knowledge which you have zikr of. And this is, of course, an important point because we know how much emphasis there is on zikr and zikr Allah. And as it says in the hadith that the, the you know, afdal zikr, a qawla la ilaha illallah. That the best zikr is the dhikr where you say the word La ilaha illallah and yet this is only the second degree or the second level of the meaning of the shahada or the shahadu ashhadu and la ilaha illallah the first as I said is having a knowledge and the second is remembering that knowledge that which you, which you spoke or the knowledge in which you have in your heart and these two are contained for the person himself these two are the person himself he has these he hasn't had it progressed to anyone outside of his own sphere of being. The third degree is when someone actually makes what's called an i'lan or i'lam. He actually expresses that to someone else. He makes a testimony outside to other people. And this is giving the idea that once he has the knowledge and once he is saying it, remembering it to himself, he finally he testifies it to other people and he gives the declaration to those other people. It's like he's giving his witness. This is the idea where we have in English the idea of witness, the idea of testimony. You can't do a testimony or a witness unless you do it to someone else. And you do it in a, in a circle of people that are actually going to witness with that what you're saying. So the first aspect is that he himself is witnessing something and having knowledge. And this point, this third level, is when he is testifying, witnessing to other people. Of course, there's a lot of Christian ministers and these people who are the Jehovah's Witnesses and these people who are the, uh, 
the evangelists and so on and so forth. And they're always talking about witnessing and, and professing. This is the idea. They go out and they witness to other people. And this is the idea of giving the testimony. Maybe we all remember the famous story of Abi Dharr, where he was the first one who gave the witness and the testimony out loud in the Kaaba of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, where he said that I want to go and I want to make these Quraysh. They listened to this word of Shahada and La ilaha illallah. So he went down and the Prophet had told him, please don't go, they're going to beat you and they're going to uh, hit you. So he said, no, I have to do it. It's something in my myself that I have to do. So he went down and he gave this shahada and he raised his voice with it. And this is the idea of giving the testimony. The i'lan or the i'lam. But none of this has any value unless you complete these four categories with the fourth category. And this is actually the most important category. Because the first one, it was something that was in your senses and in your heart. The second one, it was in, on your own tongue, but you hadn't let anyone else hear it. It was just something that you remember to yourself. But the third one is when you give it to a witness to other people, but it's still just the fact that you're just saying it. The fourth thing is al-iltizam, or yani, the idea of completing the shahada, and acting the shahada, and fulfilling the conditions of the shahada, where you actually live the life of the person who understood the knowledge and then he remembered it and he's remembering it all the time in his daily life and he's also witnessing it to other persons by his actions not just by his speech because when you say i'lan it's just something that you you know it's like a notification you, 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 uh, you spell it out for someone you could have a billboard and make an i'lan in Arabic so the fourth point is that you actually live it and you actually have that on your actions I want to give an example. This is such an important point. These four points that I mentioned that Ibn Qayyim had mentioned about the word shahada and how there are four degrees, one building on each one and until the last one. I want to give an example of this to make it very, very clear. I'm going to give the example that let's pretend that someone is walking down the street. He goes down the street and all of a sudden a car pulls up, a guy jumps out, bang, bang, bang. Somebody shoots. He shoots somebody right in front of you in the street. Right there. Bang. You heard it. Three shots. Somebody's just dead. He's killed the guy. You, you see the blood. You smell the gun floor. And he's dead right there in front of you. Now, is that something that you're not going to have knowledge of? The knowledge is imprinted in your eyeballs. You smell the smoke. You saw the blood. You heard. Every, your whole body is shaking and trembling. Right? Isn't this true? Because you have testified. You're a witness. As a matter of fact, you're a star witness because they did it. They shot you right in front of you. Right in front of you, they shot. This is the idea that your knowledge is imprinted on you. And now, if you were to leave the scene of the crime, you're going to remember that or you're going to forget it? You're going to remember it. You're going to be all the way home. You're oh, boy, I just saw somebody got shot. And I saw it. A guy. And you're also going to have detailed knowledge of what happened. Because the witness, the, the thing that you witnessed, the event, the event that you witnessed was so intense that you remember the car. There was a green car. Yeah. There, was, there was a man driving. And he was wearing a red shirt. I remember that one. And the guy who stood out, he shot three shots. And, you know, if you know anything about guns, well, I know such and such a caliber, such and such a gun, because you heard the shots and you know that gun, so on and so forth. And you saw, yes, he hit him three times, one in the chest, one in the stomach, and one missed. Those three shots, because you heard, and you saw, because you first one, you saw the blood. You know, these details are written in your mind. This knowledge is there, of the details. It's not that you have a specific knowledge. Yeah, 
Because you have a detailed knowledge. But then, as I said, once you witness that thing, then you would remember it. It's not something that you would just pass out. It's not like something, a piece of information that you would quickly forget. Because you witnessed it. And then afterwards, what's going to happen, of course, is someone's going to come from the lodge and see maybe a cop or something, and they're going to come asking you, okay, we, we heard that you were at the crime, you've seen the crime. What did you see? And so when you ask, then you're going to start giving the information. Of course, you're going to tell them, well, I saw this. I saw it. it was a green car. And the guy who was riding the car, driving the car, he was wearing a red shirt. And the guy, the guy who jumped out, you're going to know how tall he was. You're going to know, you know because you saw. If you saw, if he jumped on the other side of the car, then maybe... Of course, I don't know that, that detail because I was on the other side of the car. But if you saw it and you heard those three shots, it's not something that you're going to forget. It's something you're going to tell the story to the cop. That's to send, he's, you know, you want to tell the story. It's not like the cops around here. But anyways, you tell the story and say, well, it's three shots and it was such and such. And I, the man was this tall. He was wearing his clothes. He had a beard. He didn't have a beard. He was black. He was white. He was... He was Mexican. You have all these details, you have them firmly implanted in your mind. So you tell it this time, and then the next time when he asks you tomorrow, a different detective asks you, you mention the same thing, the same, you give the same witness every time, because the knowledge is implanted in your mind. Now, does this have much, de- does this have much value yet? As we all know, it doesn't have any value unless you go to the court, and you stand up in front of the judge, and you stand up in front of the accused. And you stand up in front of the, you know, the family of the man murdered. And there's the court and the jury. And you give the witness there. And once you give the witness there, then you're going to live by that witness your whole life. You're not going to walk out of the court and then say, well, I didn't really mean that. And then you're going to twist your testimony later and not live up to your testimony. You're going to live that testimony your whole life. And stand by that testimony your whole life. Because if you ever stop that testimony and say to somebody, well, that 20 years ago when I gave testimony in the court of law, I didn't really mean such and such and such and such. If you did that, then they go, okay, let's pull this guy out of the jail and let's look at the whole testimony. Let's, let's look at this whole thing. This guy's a liar. This guy, his testimony, it has no, no value because he reneged and he went backwards and he, he, he voided his testimony. This is, an, this is the importance of the Shahada in terms of these four categories. The first one that he has the knowledge that imprints on his eyes, in his nose, in his ears, in his brains, in his understanding. He has the knowledge of it. It's a detailed knowledge. And then after he has the detailed knowledge, he remembers it. He keeps remind, he reminds himself of that, and he doesn't forget it. Because if you forget it, it has no value. And then he gives that testimony to other people. And he's not scared to give it a testimony to other people. He'll give that openly to the people, because it's a knowledge and a thing that he knows. And he has not forgotten. He's not wishy-washy and wavy on that. And then also he stands by that testimony until the day that he dies. Because if he ever goes back on that, then that, that whole testimony, it just it doesn't have any value anymore. And this is the idea of the four categories, the four levels, the four degrees of giving the word shahada. So when we stand up and we hear the word, Ashhadu Allah, ilaha illallah, it has all these categories. Now what is he giving shahada about? He's giving the shahada about tawheed, about la ilaha illallah, about iman billah, about ibadat Allah, about uh, you know, these, these big words, they all basically have the same meaning. And so the person who is going to say, ashhadu an la ilaha illallah, he's going to say these words knowing the details of that which he's giving the testimony about. 
this gives us the idea that the people who give testimony of La ilaha illallah and then turn around and do some act which actually is an act of shirk of associating others with Allah in his, in his worship or which is a form of kufr a denial of his, of, of his, of his shahada and that person either he didn't know what he, he didn't know the shahada to begin with or he knew and he went back on it and they're, and they're both possibilities as for the example, I always give this example because it's such a clear example and so obvious that it's just something which could be mentioned. The people who are want to go to the graves and worship the so-called saint in the grave. And of course, he's supposed to go to the grave and he's supposed to make dua for that person. Because that's the only way you're supposed to go to a grave and visit a grave is you make a dua for him. But instead of making a dua for him, he's making a dua at him. He's asked, instead of asking Allah to forgive him, he's asking him for some kind of intercession to forgive me. And he's asking that guy as if he has the quality of being Allah who can give you know, sustenance or can give health or can, he can forgive me or so on and so forth. So he's made the person in the grave the person who is the Lord. So of course he doesn't understand this shahada. He, has a, uh, he doesn't have the first category which is the knowledge, al-ilm, the ilm of what the shahada means. Let's take this word now, the shahada and la ilaha illallah. Because once we got the idea that what does the word shahada means, ashhadu, in these four categories, let's look at just quickly what the la ilaha illallah means. Because this is a sentence in the Arabic language which is the most powerful sentence possible. Because it's made in a negative, la ila is a negative. And then illa is called istathna, which is which becomes a that an exception, making an exception. It's either translated as accept or it's translated as but. And I always like to, uh, to, to translate it as accept. La ila, there is no God to be worshipped, there is none that has the right to be worshipped except Allah. Illallah. So we have a Negative, and we have a positive. But the negative is made in this way that it is an exception. You have la ilaha, there is nothing to be worshipped except for Allah. But when you said la ilaha, the word ilah is similar to the word Allah. Because they're both, you know, the, as, as they say, the word, I mean, as we translate it in English, for instance, la ilaha, you know, no God, small g, except God, capital G. So you're, what you're negating and what you're uh, affirming are the same quality, or the same reality. They're what is worthy of being worshipped. Because a God is that which is worshipped. So that we have the idea of ibadah, or worshipped. And I'll give you an example which will testify or make understand how powerful the word la ilaha illallah is. Because when you negate something and then you qualify that and say that only one person has this quality and you're accepting everyone else in the entire creation that doesn't have this, power, this, this quality, then it becomes a very powerful statement. And I'll give another example now. And the example is sort of important because it makes it clear in our, our minds. When someone was to say, like, we could give any kind of circle. And we have to remember that the Prophet wasallam is saying this in the environment of Quraysh and Mecca 
at the time when it had 360 graves surrounding the Kaaba. And they knew that Abraham had built this Kaaba. And they knew that he, they, they was the father of the Arabs. And yet they had all these gods, all these idols around the Kaaba. So when the Prophet were to say, La ilaha illallah, illallah, la ilaha illallah, in this context, we have to realize how, what a powerful, what a political statement it was. If someone, I'll give an example, someone goes to a gang, you know, the Crips or the Bloods or any gang, you know, whatever gang it is, and says that nobody can fight except for so-and-so. Let's call them, you know, nobody can fight except for Steve, or except, except for me, for instance. But he's saying a negative, nobody can do a certain act, fight, except so-and-so. Now, what is that going to be? That's going to be intimidating. That's going to intimidate those people. They're going to say, wait a second, I can fight. Right? All of a sudden, they're going to jump up and say, wait a second, you're saying that nobody has that quality except for one person? I'll give you another example. Let's say somebody went to a conference of <laughs> computer specialists. You have all the computer specialists there, all the, the, the people who, you know, the systems analysts and so on and so forth. And somebody says that nobody can write a program huh, except for such and such a company. You're negating all the programs, all the intelligence, all the ability, except for the one company or the one person. Nobody can write a program except for Bill. Not Bill Gates, of course. Bill. So look how powerful. They're all going to jump up and say, wait a second. What are you trying? You're crazy. We, we also, you know, the first group will say, we also can fight. The second group says, we also can do that. What are you trying to say? Very intimidating power. Very intimidating statement that someone is saying. That's why this word, la ilaha illallah, is the most powerful. It is saying that there is no God except for God. There's no, nothing to be worshipped except for the one thing that should be worshipped. When the Prophet ﷺ said that in the environment of the Quraysh, the Quraysh jumped up and said, wait a second, are you crazy? We have all these gods, what are you trying to say? All these gods are the gods which all the Arabs come and they worship. So what are you saying? There's nothing to be worshipped except for your god? And you're making all these gods, that, you know, it's denying the reality of those gods that are there. And this negation is, the, is an essence in the whole word of La ilaha illallah. There has to be the negation in order for there to be the affirmation. And the affirmation has no power, has no, has no uh, reality to it without the preceding negation. And then it has to have, as I said, the istathna, the exception. That you accept one. There is nothing to be worshipped except for Allah. And that He is just one. <clears throat> and this includes two aspects. The ulama have had a difference, as they said. There's, you know, well, I won't get into that actually, but there's two points to mention here. One is the idea of what is the reality that exists. And the other point is the, what do we do in terms of that reality? For instance, in the philosophical mention, there's the idea that there is only one God. That only one God exists. Because if there's only one God that exists, well, what about all these other gods? They're all, they're all gods. I mean, the people take them as gods. But, of course, they're not really gods. They don't really have the quality 
of being gods. They don't have the quality of being worshipped, which is worshipped in a proper manner, a manner that actually benefits them. They don't have the power to actually create, or to give sustenance, or to die, or to kill, or to give life, or to give death, or anything like that. So it's a statement of truth, a statement of what really exists. But that's not all the statement is. Because it's also the statement of what is really right, what is really proper, what is really good. So it has the, the, the ultimate metaphysical kind of statement of what really you know, exists. But it also has the, the statement, the ultimate moral statement, that the only thing that is good and the only worthy thing is that you actually worship only one God. And this is very, very important because it includes the entire relationship between the truth and between the right. Because many people realize the truth. I mean, the Jews, for instance, they knew that La ilaha illallah. To this day, if you open the book in the Arabic language of the Torah, in the Bible, you'll see La ilaha illallah there, right there. La ilaha illallah. It's right in there in the Arabic language. And La ilaha illallah, and so on and so forth. But yet, they worship other gods. And they, take it, they took Uzair to be uh, the, the son of God. Or they took, any, any, they took their... their, 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 their uh, their rabbis and their worshippers are Babim and Dunallah you know, to be lords other than Allah and to legislate for them and to uh, and so they actually ended up worshipping worshipping them so the idea that someone understands this intellectually and he understands the negative and the affirmative is not necessarily the the end of the uh, of the of what he should do he also has to put this into practice that's why the knowledge Although it's the door, it's the opening point, it's the first point that someone has to have. If he doesn't have this knowledge, then he can't be the testimony. If he wasn't there, if he didn't witness the crime to begin with, then of course he doesn't, know, he doesn't have any knowledge of it. So he has to have the knowledge, and that's why it's the door to everything else, that he has to have the knowledge. But the knowledge is only the beginning. He has to eventually put that knowledge into practice. There's, we say that this negation and this affirmative... La ilaha illallah. They call these the arkan of the shahada, the ruknain. You've maybe heard the arkan of Islam, or the pillars of Islam, you know, to testify that there's no one to be worshipped for Allah, to make the prayers, establish the prayers, to, to, to fast the Ramadan, to pay the zakat, and to make the pilgrimage. These are the arkan of Islam. The arkan, the word ruknain, it means that which hold something up. That which is necessary for that thing's existence. And maybe you've heard, I mean, there's a very a good article, uh, Jamal al-Din Zarabosa read about conditions of the Shahada. And he mentions the various, uh, six or seven conditions of the Shahada. The shurut al-Shahada. There's the difference of, the difference between a rukn, which is a pillar, and a shart. Let me explain that. Because here, in the Tawheed, we say that the Arkan, or the Ruknain of the Shahada, are this negation and this affirmation. The Nafi, well, is that. Negation and affirmation. These are the Ruknain. The Ruknain is very crucial because it's what gives this thing the existence. It's what makes it alive. If you were to take a human body, then what are the Arkan al-Haya? What are the 
pillars are, are, the, are the essential ingredients, essential things which allow this thing to stay alive. Now, let's take this, it's a human body, for instance. He has to have, he has to have a heart. He has to have a blood system. Okay? And then he has to have a head. If you cut off his head, he dies. Take out his heart, he dies. So these are considered the rook. If you cut off his arm, you cut off his leg, you take his eyeball out, and this kind of thing, he's still alive. He's still alive. He may be, he may not be complete, he may not be, you know, look so good, but it's still, it still, it has life. And this is the idea when we say that someone is a believer, but he's not a complete believer. Or he's a believer, but he has some deficiencies in his belief. But nevertheless, he has, he has this, he has life. He's alive in his, uh, in his, in his, his iman is alive. So the arkan or the rukan is of this nature. The rukan, the nafi is back. Someone has to have the nafi and the isbat of his of his shahada. He has to believe that there is no god to be worshipped except for Allah. The nafi being there is no god to be worshipped. Meaning a kufr bima dun and a kufr yakfur bima yu'min min dun Allah to negate all that which is worshipped other than Allah. But if he negates all that is worshipped other than Allah, and he doesn't go out and worship Allah, then he hasn't fulfilled the affirmation. If he goes out and he worships Allah, but then he worships along with Allah, other gods, then he hasn't fulfilled the negation part, the negative part. And if we see in the Muslim world, all of the problems among the Muslims, every form of ignorance, every form of innovation, every form of people worshipping other than Allah is all related back to the fact that they either don't understand this kalima, this shahada that they've given, and they don't understand these two ruknain, these two pillars, the negative aspect and the positive aspect, or they understand it but they don't care and they're doing it even though they understand it. It's either that they have a problem in their knowledge or a problem in their desire to please Allah and worship Him alone. One of the other. <coughs> the, the so-called conditions or shurut of the shahada these are also uh, very important but let's first just quickly mention the difference between a rukan and a shart if we take back go back to the example of someone in his life the difference between a rukan or a pillar and a, uh, the shurut which are the conditions is that the pillar is something which is built into that very existence. For instance, the head I means it's part of the body. And the heart it's part of the body. And that's called a pillar of that body. Without that, there's no life. Whereas the conditions are those things that come from outside the body, which are necessary for the continuation of the life. In this example, in the life, for instance, air, you know, oxygen, and water. Without, the, without you know, air and water, he'll live for a little while and he'll die. There's also certain, certain parts of the body, for instance, which if you didn't have it, you would live for a while, but eventually you're going to die. Eventually it's going to die. If you didn't have, you know, if you, took out, if you took out the kidneys, for instance. The kidneys are very important things. And anyone who's been on a dialysis machine knows or has a friend. That if you take out a kidney, one, then of course that filters the blood and it keeps the blood clean. So it's attached to the circulatory system, the heart. But it's not necessarily the heart. You could take out one kidney and it could, it could still live. And you could actually take out two and it could live on a, on a machine. But eventually, if you take out both, eventually at a certain point in time, he's going to get poisoned. 
by the poisons. Uh, let me give another example. I think maybe this is another example that will explain this again. Let's give the example of a car. Everyone knows what a car is. I mean, here we are. We have so many cars. What, what is the pillar of the car or the rukan of the car? Of course, it's got to have an engine. Without an engine, it's not going to move. Then also, it's got to have, it's got to have uh, wheels. Okay? Without wheels, it's not going to move either. Now, how about a door? Does it have to have doors? No, you can take the doors off. What about, you know, what about a body? Well, there's parts of the body that, yeah, you can't, you know, you can't, but the backbone, you've got to have what's like, you know, the backbone or the main, you know, trussy of the whole thing. You have to have that. But what are the conditions of the car? The conditions would be like you know, having the gasoline. Without gasoline, you can have all the parts there, but without gasoline, it's not going to move. And same thing with the oxygen. If you had oxygen, but it wasn't getting into the carburetor, it wouldn't move. So these are the conditions. This is why that this is w- one reason why that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, that when someone he has, he understands the nafi, what is bad, he understands la ilaha illallah. He has the knowledge of it. And yet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not put that la ilaha illallah in a proper heart and let it groan and given it its, its, its sustenance. Because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this, this kalima, la ilaha illallah, as a gift. And he gives it to people and then he grows it. One of the salafs said that when someone starts and becomes a believer, he starts with the kalima tayyibah in his heart. And then that kalima tayyibah that's in his heart, it grows slowly and slowly. Because the first time that everyone ever made the shahada, if you think back, that there was, if you're a Muslim who accepted Islam, then all of a sudden, you know, it was like a bolt of lightning. You realize that this is the reality. And you say that word, and then it has to grow. If it doesn't grow, it can start getting, it can have its life cut off by having, not having the water, not having the light come. Because a plant, for instance, it has to have light, it has to have water, and it has to have nutrients. If it doesn't have those nutrients, then it's going to eventually die. Even though the seed itself has a complete seed, it has all the parts which which can make it to grow. And this... uh, is the idea that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives this word, this kalima shahada, He gives it as a gift to anyone. If He wants to cut off, as the hadith says, that the heart of, of the mankind is, are between the two, uh, are between the fingers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He can roll the heart this way or that way. In other words, towards belief or towards disbelief. Someone can, can, can believe in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for so many years and then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he can be just a, a, you know, a, a few feet away or a very short period away from going into the, to the paradise. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can change him and then he can turn away and go back and go into the disbelief. Another way around. Someone can stay as a disbeliever for, for, for years and years and years until he's almost into the hellfire. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, can, his book and what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has written for him can reach him and then he can become a believer and then eventually go into the paradise. So it's someone... It's that these both things are, are necessary. Not only do you have to have the pillars of the shahada, or the pillars of this la ilaha illallah, but also the arkan of the shahada, this negation and the affirmation, but you also have to fulfill these conditions of the shahada, the, which are the shurut. And the shurut are similar to what I mentioned about the four categories of the Islam, uh, of the shahada. Uh, it's interesting to note that these all go around between two aspects. 
Maybe you've heard of that. I mean, I, I'm assuming that many people have read uh, about these uh, conditions. What they're mentioned is that they're mentioned the, the knowledge, ilm, and yaqeen, uh, or, uh, which is certainty, and sidq, which is truthfulness, and then also the qubul, which is acceptance, that you accept these, you accept the word, and then al-inqiyad, which means that you actually follow the way, or you follow what this word of what it actually means and entails. You follow that which it entails, in other words. And then there's also what's called ikhlas, which is sincerity, and then mahabba, which is you know, uh, supreme love. I think this is well known because there's been many articles in, about this. But the thing I wanted to make you to notice is that when you talk about knowledge, and you talk about sith or truthfulness, and you talk about yaqeen, then these three are in the category of knowledge. Because someone has knowledge, and someone, he, he, he's truthful. It's also about affirming knowledge. And he says, yes, this is true. And he's truthful about that knowledge. Someone has a certainty about it. It means he has no kind of doubts about that knowledge. He's certain. Like going back to the example of the man who saw that, you know, that, 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 uh, that crime or the shooting. He's certain. He knows it. He doesn't have any doubts. He doesn't waver in his testimony. He's certain about it. And these are the three conditions in the, in the, in the aspect of knowledge about the shahada. That someone has knowledge and then he's truthful about it. He doesn't hide it or he doesn't uh, he is not deceptive about it. And then he also has a certainty about it. He doesn't waver. And uh, this, uh, these are very, very uh, well known as the hadith about the knowledge. It says that, uh, Whoever dies and he knows that la ilaha he will go into the paradise. But of course, knowledge is not the only thing that you have. As I said, someone can know something. I mean, the person could have witnessed that thing and run away and never told anybody. He doesn't want to know anybody. He doesn't want anything to do with it. Because he doesn't want to get into trouble. He doesn't want to even see the cops. He doesn't, want, he doesn't care about the guy doing that. He just goes and he hides. But as we know, that's not part of our religion. I always tell people, Christians, or I see people who are interested in Eastern religions, like the Buddhists and Hindus, I always tell them that our religion is basically different from your, from your religion. A Christian, he can believe Jesus died for my sins. Jesus, and I have accepted Jesus as, as my Savior. He can go up to the mountains and become a hermit. You know, he's saved. He's done. Same thing with a Buddhist and a, and a Hindu. But our religion is of totally different nature because we have the idea that, that our, religion, our religion is a social religion. Our religion, we have to give testimony. We have to give account. And that not only that, but we give account to uh, Allah and to the Prophet and to our brother our brother, uh, our brother Muslim, as it says that whoever yani, man salat al-fajr, whoever is, appears at salat al-fajr, that it becomes a testimony, a shahada of his faith. It becomes a part of his faith, and he he uh, he sees it as uh, that the people know that he has given his uh, his uh, his testimony in the salat al-fajr. <coughs> These conditions, as I mentioned. There's another point to mention about them. I slipped this thing. Uh, and that is that some people, it's a very common misunderstanding that is uh, maybe not so prevalent here in the States because people uh, often accept Islam. 
until they have a certain fervor about Islam. But it's very common about people who grew up as Muslims and they just assume that their society is Islamic or is, is Muslim. They figure that whoever says La ilaha Allah, he's going to go to Jannah. And so if you say this word La ilaha Allah, then, then you're done. You're going to go to Jannah. Even the people, I mean, I've been in Pakistan, as the brother mentioned, uh, some of the people who are highway robbermen, it's a famous thing that they'll they go and say, give me all your money, and they point the gun to the guy's head, and they say, say la la la, I'm going to kill you. And so, you know, if you say la la la, bang, he's going to kill you, you're going to go to Jannah. Because you're Muslim, and all Muslims, you know, where do they go? To? They, go to, they go to paradise. Because why? Because they said, shahil la la la. Very common thing, very common ideology. And yet, the point that we want to uh, say is that have they fulfilled the pillars of this? Because if you're going to go somewhere, then you have to have, you know, just like a car. You've got to have, you know, the thing that actually makes you go. If you're going to be, if you're going to go, you have to be alive. The, the difference between a person who remembers Allah and the person who doesn't remember Allah is like the difference between someone who is alive and someone who is dead, as the hadith says. The dhikr, the idea of remembrance. So someone has to have those abilities that will get him into the paradise. And these, this is proven by the fact that we have many hadiths which mention this idea of La ilaha illallah. Some of them come in a general sense. Some of them say that, as I said, the hadith which says that whoever says La ilaha illallah, he will go into paradise. In, the, in another one it says, Whoever has in it, Whoever, his last words are La ilaha illallah, he will go into the paradise. And in another word, it says that Woman Whoever says La ilaha illallah, this will save him someday, no matter what he has done previously. Many people hear these. Uh, uh, sayings and they, and they take the understanding that okay I've, I, I, I'm one of those guys I've said la ilaha illallah I'm one of those guys I've testified so it's enough for me then I can go out and do whatever I want but they don't understand that as I mentioned about these conditions that I've mentioned that there are other statements talking about the la ilaha illallah which make it conditional they add a condition upon this saying of the la ilaha illallah if you just don't say it without having a certain reality attached to it. And this is going back to the idea of the testimony. That when you have, you witness something, you're witnessing it with all its details of what you witnessed. It's not that you witness it and then when you ask you, okay, what color was the car? And you say, well, I don't know what color car it was. Wait, wait a second. You, you know, if you witnessed it, you know the color. It's imprinted on your eyeball. How many shots did you fire? Well, you know, you have the detailed knowledge of though that which you witness. It's not as if you can just give a general kind of idea. People often, when you, when you ask people, they even done it where they went and they asked people, what does the, what does the Fatiha mean? What is the most important thing in Islam? And they asked people on the street of the Muslim uh, country. And they, people didn't know. They gave all kinds of wrong ideas. It showed that they didn't know the knowledge. They didn't have the understanding of their Shahada. And when you look in the society, why do you find all the corruption there? Why do you find all the, the, all the kind of, of, of uh, you know, mis-worshipping uh, other than Allah and all kinds of corruption that we have in the Muslim societies? It goes back to the idea that they don't understand, that they don't practice this la ilaha illallah. So if the first thing is that you have to have knowledge, as I said. And there's the, uh, many hadith about this idea 
of having uh, knowledge and the idea that it's very important and this can, we can talk about this you know, over and over and for a long time and then there's also the idea that you have to have truthfulness about this there's the hadith where the Prophet says in the وَبَشِّرُوا مَنْ وَرَاءَكُمْ أَنَّهُ مَنْ شَهَدَ أَنْ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَى اللَّهِ صَادِقًا دَخَلَ جَنَّةً it's which means give glad tidings and give glad tidings to yourself and give glad tidings to that, those who are coming after you that whoever says this word La ilaha illallah truthfully then he will go into the paradise and in another uh, hadith it says that مَا مِن نَفْسٍ يَمُوتْ وَهِيَ تَشْهَدْ أَنْ لَا إِلَهِ لَهُ وَإِنِّي رَسُولُ اللَّهِ يَرْجَعْ ذَلَكَ إِلَى قَلْبٍ مُوقٍ إِلَى غَفَرَ اللَّهُ لَهُ which means that there is no soul which will die and it will give uh, it will give the shahada that la ilaha illallah and that I am the prophet of Allah and he takes that back to a a, a certainty in his heart except that he will go into the paradise so here the first condition was knowledge the second condition he knows the second condition was sadaqin min qalbi that he has the truthfulness. The third condition here in this hadith is يعني, and he, he relates that or he brings that back to a certainty in his heart. And then there's other hadith which I'm getting uh, 15 minutes of the, the time in. There's another uh, hadith which talks about the idea of ikhlas or sincerity where it says the idea of with purity without any uh, without any uh, impurities in that statement 100% as we always say it's 100% pure and then in other hadith the idea that that, that someone says it where, and he accepts the conditions about which this means he accepts the conditions that go along with that for instance, he knows that if he says La ilaha illa, then he has to believe in the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He has to believe in this part of it, La ilaha Muhammad Rasulullah. I didn't, I haven't gotten to speak about that part. Then also, it means that okay, you have to stop worshiping that which you used to worship, for instance. And then you have to make prayer. You have to give a testimony of your shahada by prayer. And you have to give uh, a sadaqah. Yeah. which is zakat a sadaqa is burhan as it says in the, uh, in the hadith a sadaqa burhan the, 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 the giving of the sadaqa the giving of that which you have is a poor do is a testimony or burhan or a proof of your religion and of your uh, you know, uh, belief and so on and so forth I give another example I like giving examples sometimes because it explains the intensity of these conditions I'll give the example of if there was a king and this king was going to go on a journey with his army to another land and he was going to go like, you know, conquer some other land. And so he told his army men, okay, everyone here, you be down at the shore and get in the boats tomorrow morning after Fajr. Everyone go down after Fajr, be prepared and go and get in the ship tomorrow morning at Fajr. He's given a general statement. Everyone come and they go to, and they go to the ship. Everyone's going to go. And later on, he, say, he says that, for instance, you know, as the first, uh, the first uh, cry out to all the people. And then later on he says, okay, everyone come down at Fajr and you be prepared. You have your weapons with you. And you have enough food for a week. 
Now what's going to, so now he's qualifying it. Now he's putting condition on, on you. You didn't come down and you have condition. If you came down and you didn't have any of your weapons, you didn't have any of your food, what's gonna, what, what, what is he going to say? So wait a second. You heard the first command, but you didn't hear the second command? The second command actually is the most important command. The first command was just to get you a little bit ready, just to make you understand that, hey, you know, t- tomorrow is the day. Tomorrow is the big, big day. But the second command is the command which is the one that's really going to prepare, really going to make you ready, really going to give you the ability to go on that ship. Because if you came and you didn't have your weapons, and you didn't have your sustenance for the week, then what's going on? And this is the same thing. When it is said that La ilaha illallah, Muhammad Rasulullah, then we have that, and they say that whoever says La ilaha illallah, he's going to go to Jannah. And then the next commands come. And it says, whoever says La ilaha illallah, and he's truthful in his heart, or that he has a certainty in his heart, or that he is totally, with total sincerity, he says those words, and we realize that these conditions are very, very important. It qualifies the first statement such that no one can be, uh, you, know, uh, you know, that anyone can say it. As a matter of fact, you can teach a parent to say the word la ilaha, but he doesn't have knowledge, he doesn't understand what he's saying. He may believe in his own sphere, and he believes in Allah, and he raises Allah, as all the birds and all the animals do. And it's only the men in the jinn that can actually disbelieve in Allah. But the point is, is that, you know, that many people are just parrot the words la ilaha just like many people will make their prayer that says that people make prayer but they do not get the benefit of the prayer they do not get the reward of the prayer of the prayer that they're making because they're just making words but their heart is not in it their heart is not there in the prayer they're not really praising Allah they're just going through motions and so they're not getting the benefit and the same thing that many people who say that shahadu an la ilaha illallah they may not get the benefit because they do not, they're not saying it with the proper conditions which these conditions give it and make it grow. If you were to have a plant and you stifle that plant from getting it the water and the air and the sunlight, now how well is it going to grow? If you give it more food, you're giving it all those food pills and you're, giving, and you're, and you're digging up the rows in between, giving it air so it can get down there. Anybody who's you know, farming or gardener, they know. And you give it the proper sunlight. Not too much it's going to burn it, but not that, you know, but you give it full sunlight. You can have that sunlight. And you're giving it the proper water, the proper nutrients. What's going to happen to that plant? It's going to grow very fast, grow very strong. It's going to become, it, it can become a mighty oak tree before you know it. And as we know, that the example of the belief is the example of the, uh, the nechal or the, the palm tree which is a very, very strong tree. Anyone who's been in the desert and seen this tree, and they know the type of wood that it is, it starts off as a little tiny, just as, you know, it's a date stone. And it just grows and grows and grows. But it has to have those conditions of the shahada. That's why these conditions are so important. And why these words are so huge. I mean, truthfulness and, 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 and sincerity, ikhlas. I mean, someone can give and talk for a long time and every, every one of these words an the idea of yaqeen, or certainty. Uh, we can talk about each one of these things for a long time and give more in-depth ideas but let for now this suffice uh, for this session and keep with this idea that if someone wants to make this journey with the, uh, you know, uh, then he has to come prepared and that's why it's, there's another hadith that says that whoever dies and he, and he dies and his last words are la ilaha illallah 
And that means that he's dying. Is he going to say it without having truthful in his heart and when he's dying? Or is he going to say it without certainty in his heart when he dies? Or is he going to say it without having the knowledge? As it says, that whoever dies, then he knows that la ilaha illallah. So it has to be of, with all of these conditions. I always say that this is something which is not, uh, I mean, Allah has blessed brothers to come and to listen to a speech. But in a sense, this speech is something that all Muslims have to know. And I always say that the issues of aqidah, as they say, or belief, that many of them are so basic, every Muslim has to know it. Now, which Muslim cannot know about the shahada? In order to be a Muslim, he has to say this with shahada. He may not know that well, it has four categories, and it has you know, six conditions, and it has the two, two you know, pillars. I mean, and of course, I mean, it's like, not that everyone has to know all this. It's not like the farmer who, who lives out in the countryside. He's never been to school. He doesn't have to know that you have to have a certain amount of food to be healthy, and you have to have some different categories, and you shouldn't eat. He's just healthy naturally. And there's many Muslims that without knowing all these details, they are good Muslims and believing Muslims naturally. But the, I'm not you know, trying to say that someone has... But generally, they have to have these conditions there. They have to be there. And us who have been corrupted by our corrupted lifestyle, it's important for us to come and have the knowledge of these things and to learn about them and to put them into place such that our deeds will be accepted, our words will be accepted and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will bless the shahada and give the fruit of the shahada and that we actually will live and die upon the shahada which is the, uh, the goal of all Muslims and subhanak alahum la ilaha illallah astaghfirullah atubu and I finish now and uh, we'll have I guess we'll break for a while and then come back inshallah excuse me first thing I'll ask for any questions about that which I've mentioned uh, first please ask about these things that I've mentioned and anything later inshallah you can ask in a more open kind of field Yeah, I didn't actually, I sort of started that and I didn't finish that actually and I didn't, I sort of got off into something else. The six, actually, these things, it's not as if like the Prophet ﷺ didn't mention like the five pillars of Islam, he mentioned there's five pillars of Islam. Buni Islam ala khamsa. Islam has been built upon five. Whereas these uh, conditions are in a sense what someone has, has uh, what the ulama have noticed by reading all of the texts and they realize that these are the conditions of the shahada. The first one is the knowledge, ilm. The second one is sidq, truthfulness. The third one is uh, yaqeen, which is certainty. And the fourth one can be qabul, which is acceptance. And the uh, next one is inqiyad, which is obedience or following behind, or actually the ability of follow behind that which you should obey. And the next one is Mahabba. There are actually seven, actually. The sixth one is Mahabba. And the seventh is mentioned as Ikhlas. Some ulama even, even also mention the idea and that you die upon those. And that you continue upon those until the day that you die. But in, other words, in a sense, that's just understood from, from what has preceded. So they don't really mention it. But somebody will say that, no, you, this, is, this should be a, uh, you know, an eighth condition. The idea of iltizam, which is 
the following of that uh, until you die. And there's many, many uh, uh, proofs to prove about each one of these. You can go through the Quran and the Sunnah and prove each one of these conditions. And I basically just gave uh, the first three. I didn't really go into the other ones because of the time limit. I also wanted to mention that I didn't really play on that idea or confirm it strong enough that the first three, the knowledge and the truthfulness and the yaqeen or certainty, this is in the hemisphere of knowledge. Things that you know. What we call in, in philosophy, epistemology. You know, the idea of what you know that it's true. Talk about truth. Whereas the idea of, of love, mahabba, the idea of acceptance and following, that is the idea of action. So one is the idea of, of, of knowing something, and the other one is the idea of acting upon that. So when you love something, it's an action. Action that happens in your heart. So it's, it's the beginning of, of desire, it's the, uh, or of, of, of an action. And the same thing with the idea of uh, kabul, to accept something. You accept it, and then you actually do that which it orders you to do, you know, which is actually obedience. And so all of these are the conditions and uh, the idea of understanding that some of them are in the sphere of knowledge and some of them are in the sphere of action. As we know, that not a, a belief is contains through having the belief in your heart, the belief on your tongue, and belief in your action. Similar to the conditions of the Tawheed, the idea of, uh, of the Shahada that said that you have the knowledge of it in your heart, and then you have the testimony of it on your tongue, which is the, the remembrance of it to yourself, and then the remembrance of it outwardly, and then you have the actual deeds of that, uh, of that uh, Shahada. Khubur and Qiyad or in you know, following and, and actually being pulled allowing yourself to be pulled <coughs> by Islam is very important because as we know <coughs> if this religion has any similitude it's the similitude of a slave the Christians have the similitude of a father son and this is what they got mixed up upon this is what led them astray because they took this idea of, O oh, Father who art in heaven, and the idea that, that God blessed his son Israel, and so on and so forth. And they had this, this idea of father-son relationship. This is the relationship which led them astray, because they, they misunderstood it and took it in a literal sense, when it was only meant to be a figurative sense. Whereas in our religion, may Allah be praised, the similitude we have is of slavery. And this is the truth in every manner. It's a literal sense. It's also a figurative sense. Because we are the slave of Allah. And the slave, what does the slave do? The slave obeys. The slave, if uh, he is told to move this way or that way, he obediently follows that which is said. So when the ulama mentioned this idea of inqiyad, that they, he is allowed to be led, he allows himself to be led, this is very, very crucial. So I wanted to just mention uh, a couple of the uh, narrations of the Prophet ﷺ in this manner. The idea of Kabul first. There's a hadith <coughs> which the Prophet said ﷺ, مثل ما بعثنا الله به من الحد والعلم كمثل غيث كثير أصاب أرضا فكان منها نقية قبل قبلة الماء وانبتت كلاء والعشب كثير وكانت منها أهادب أمسكت الماء ونفع ونفع الله بها أجارب أمسك الماء ونفع الله بها الناس فشربوا وزرعوا وصابت منها طائفة أخرى إنما هي كيعان لا تمسك الماء ولا تنبت الكلاء 
فذلك مثل من فقه في دين الله ونفعه ما بعثنا الله به وعلم وعلم ومثل من لم يرفع بذلك رأسا ولم يقبل هدي الله الذي أرسلت به This is a very important hadith in Bukhari and Muslim where it says that the example of me and that which I have been sent with the guidance and the knowledge is the guidance of rainfall falling and some of it it hit the land which it held the water and from that water it accepted the the uh, the moisture and from it grew a lot of the grass and it benefited the people and there was another part of the land where it, there were hard it was a hard thing which kept the water and allowed the animals to come and drink from that water because it, it held the water it was like a retainer or a vessel and there was another part of the land which it did not allow the grass to grow nor did it hold the water but it just drained off and this is the example of those who understand the religion and take benefit of the religion and they have knowledge of the religion and then they teach about the religion and the, and the example of those who did not open their did not lift their head to it nor did they, not, did they accept that which I have been sent of the guidance لم يقبل the idea of قبول it has the actual the loves of the idea uh, or the actual word of the idea of قبول and the, the, somebody can actually have the knowledge and actually remember it he doesn't forget it and actually he can actually make a testimony but he doesn't really accept the idea of accepting that which Allah SWT says you actually accept it in your heart and you accept it in your actions this is very important because <coughs> it may be like the Jews and they understand that which the Prophet has been sent and they accept and they understand that he is the Prophet but they have not really accepted him as a Prophet nor do they accept that which he has been sent with they have certain things in their heart which, which make them disagree and not accept. There is another uh, hadith which gives the idea of al-inqiyad or the idea of allowing someone to be led. Where the Prophet ﷺ says, <coughs> in, it's, a, it's a famous hadith, it's a narration where the Prophet said that he gave a speech and when the people heard this speech, they became very moved by the speech. And they say, Oh Prophet of Allah, is this, this, as if this speech is the last speech that you're giving. So give us the last advice of the life. Or give us the, you know, a very important advice. And so the Prophet said, وَإِنْ عَبْدٍ حَبَشِيًّا عَدُّ عَلَيْهَا بِالنَّوَاجِدِ فَإِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنِ كَالْجَمَلَ الْأُنُفِ هَيْثَمَا أَنْقَادْ أَنْقَادْ هَيْثَمَا أُنْقِيدْ أَنْقَادْ Excuse me. <coughs> Which means that verily I have left you and something on the clear path which is like a white path. It is very clear that no one can miss understand or be misguided about this because it's so clear it's so crystal clear that the only people who can go astray are the ones who are destined to go astray and that if those of you who live after me you will see differences of opinion but what you do is if you take that which you know to be of the way of me and the way of the Khulafa al-Rashidin 
or the rightly guided khulafa after me. You take that what you know, bima araftum, that what you know. And then also be obedient. Even if the person who is ordered to be above you is a slave from Habasha. And hold on to this with your molar teeth, which of course are the strongest teeth. And verily, the example of a believer is the example of a camel who is, has been tied by his nose. Wherever he is pulled, he allows himself to be pulled by that. And this hadith uh, is uh, declared in a sahih by uh, Sheikh uh, Albani, related in uh, Hakim. So the idea is that Prophet ﷺ is giving the example of someone who is <coughs> a believer, is like this camel who has, as you know, they put the, the rope between his nose. When you have the rope and your nose, it means that you do not know left or right according to your own whims. You only know that which your master is pointing you to. Where he pulls you this way, you go this way. You pull you that way, and you go that way. And this is the idea of this slavery. A person who is a slave of Allah, he has the idea of a worshiper. I mean, when we say, يعبد, the idea of ibadah, it has both the idea of the worship which is the, uh, you know, making the prayer and so on and so forth. And it also has the idea of the slavery, the being, having a master of you in which you obey. Just like that, that camel, it has a master, and that master uh, ma- makes him to go as he wishes to go. <coughs> the <coughs> famous hadith where the Prophet says that, كُلُّ أُمَّتِي يَدْخُلَ جَنَّةِ إِلَّا مَنْ أَبَى قَالَ وَمَنْ يَأْبَى يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ which means that all my nation is going to go into the paradise except that which disobeys or that which uh, refuses. And so they ask, well, and, who, and who can refuse, O Prophet of Allah? Who is someone who is going to refuse? Who is going to deny? And, and so he says, whoever obeys me, then he is the one who is going into the Jannah. And whoever disobeys me, he is the one who is going into the hellfire. Or he is the one who, he is, the one who is denied or he is rejected. <coughs> and the idea that every one of these conditions, the idea of kabul or acceptance, it has as its negative aspect or the opposite is someone who rejects, someone who does not accept. <coughs> uh, this is also, the Prophet has mentioned this in relation to another hadith where he says that كُلُّكُمْ يَدْخُلَ الْجَنَّةِ إِلَى مَنْ شَرَدَ شَرَادَ الْبَعِيرَ عَنْ Which means that all of you are going to go into the paradise except for the ones who run away from Allah just the way the camel runs away from its master. If anyone knows the nature of a camel, it's a very rough animal. I mean, you have to be really tough with it in order to get it to uh, be submissive. Once it's submissive, then inshallah, it's a very good animal. But often it has it can be very rough and once it goes and it goes wild it just runs away and they, they cannot control it in any way sometimes they even have to shoot that animal because it, it becomes dangerous and so this is the, what the Prophet is saying is that all of you are going to go into the Jannah except the ones who run away from Allah SWT, just the way the camel runs away from, uh, from, the, uh, from its masters <coughs> in another uh, hadith the Prophet says that, that the believers are the ones who are soft and the ones that are, can be easily led just the way the, uh, the camel who has the rope in its nose it 
can be pulled left and right and it can be laid to, to sit down. Again, this is the same idea which the Prophet is, is reinforcing over and over again. That a believer is that one who accepts and allows himself to be a slave. People in America, they don't have it. We have this idea of being a slave. No, I'm a free person. It's a free country. Their, 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 their nature is against having the idea that, no, you are a slave. And you have a master who orders you. And this also is the idea that in the Islamic uh, in the, uh, world, the idea of obedience. As we know, even the children here in America, their nature is to disobey their parents. Because this is what they taught. This is what is reinforced in the school system, on the streets, uh, you know, on television, anywhere else. Where in Islamic uh, society, and it's, it's the idea is the taught from the very beginning is that no, your obedience is the thing that you're taught. That you're not supposed to do just as you, that which you wish, that which you, your whim has, but that which you have been ordered. And that order is a command that's coming not from any kind of uh, illegitimate source, but it's coming from a legitimate source, which is that which wants the best for you, and which is uh, trying to bring to you the success. There's the uh, saying where the Prophet ﷺ, uh, went when he first started to give the da'wah, <coughs> he used to go to the to the various marketplaces, and he used to say to the people that he used to say to the people to the Arabs that say this word La ilaha illallah tuflihu, kull la ilaha tuflihu, that if you say these words you will be successful. Of course, when he said that you will say these words. He was saying these words in the manner in which I had mentioned, with the knowledge of it, and with the, uh, with the uh, truthful, truthfulness about it, with the, uh, with the, without doubt, and with accepting that which it entails. And the accepting of that which it entails is, I said, the obedience and the submission to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I want to talk about this word tawheed. A brother had asked me when we were sitting here, about the hadith where the, uh, there's a couple of hadiths actually. One of them was when the Prophet ﷺ sent Mu'adh, and he sent Mu'adh to, to Yemen. And he was going to go to the people of the Ahl al-Kitab, the people of the Jews and the Christians. And so he said, the Prophet said to him that, verily, you are going to go to the people of the Ahl al-Kitab, and so let it be that the first thing that you teach them is al-shahada in la ilaha illallah. In another narration it says, and you Allah, that you will do Tawheed. In another narration, it says, in another narration, it says, and Ya'bud Allah, and to worship Allah alone. In another narration, it says, Al Iman Billah, and our ma, it will be the first thing that you that you order them as Al Iman Billah. So these four things: Iman Billah, Ibadat Allah, so you Allah, Tawheed Allah, and Ashahada. They all have the same basic idea. They all revolve around the same uh, realities. They're, the idea of Tawheed, some people in the Muslim world, they say this Tawheed, how come we never see this Tawheed in, uh, in you know, in, 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 where's Tawheed in the Quran? You know, the people who want to see everything in the Quran, say, where's the Tawheed in the Quran? Give me the Tawheed out of the Quran. This Tawheed that you're talking about, I don't want to hear it, because we don't find it in the Quran. Similar to what we say actually to, to these Christians when we say about Trinity, that the word Trinity is it, not, it's not in, in the Bible. This is a, a fabrication by Paul. And some people have tried to say, especially when you talk about Tawheed and you talk about Shahada and you talk about worshiping Allah and not worshiping anyone else, and you try to explain what the meaning of shirk is, 
you try to explain that many of the common practices that some of the Muslims do is actually a form of shirk. And they say, no, no, we don't want to talk about this. Talk about, you know, points of fiqh that we know. Talk about salat. Talk about zakat. Talk about tahara. But we don't want to hear about this. There's nothing about this tawheed. Where actually this tawheed is in many hadiths. It's also, anyone who knows about tawheed, they know that the word wahadu yuwahadu tawheedin it's in the Quran in the sense that يعبد الله وحده and كل الله أحد الله أحد one and Allah also is واحد القحار so Allah is one and the one is very very easy to understand but as I said the Tawheed that is mentioned it has the negative aspect and the positive aspect and this is the as I mentioned the two pillars of the Tawheed if someone cannot understand the unity of Allah SWT without denying the worship of those that are worshipped other than Allah and then affirming the worship of Allah only there are two aspects there's a very important hadith which is mentioned in Sahih Muslim in the chapter which mentions about the when uh, one of the, the Sahabi whose name was Amr bin Abasa when he accepted Islam and this hadith it says that he used to believe that everyone was wrong he, he, was, he was in his land which was outside of Medina and he heard that there was a man in, in Medina and he was calling to a new religion or he's calling to a new something so but he says actually that he lived and he knew that people something was wrong the people were out of dalala they were on, on wrong and then he heard that there was a person in Mecca who was giving a certain news and so he rode on his horse he rode on his uh, his, uh, his beast actually a camel and he came into the Prophet and then he says Ma anta? who are you? he says I'm a Nabi and he says what is a Nabi? Ma Nabi? Kala arsalni Allah Allah has sent me and he says Bima arsalaka and what did he send you with? And so his answer is very, very important. He said, he said, بِسِلَةَ الْأَرْحَامِ وَكَسْرَ الْأَسْنَامِ وَأَنْ يُوَحَدَ اللَّهِ لَا يُشْرِكْ بِهِ شَيْئًا Which means that he has sent me with tying of the, of the ties of the family and breaking of the idols. كَسْرَ الْأَسْنَامِ وَأَنْ يُوَحَدَ اللَّهِ And يُوَحَدَ اللَّهِ And to make Allah one. And that not to associate any partners with him in worship. This small sentence, and this was the man, then he says that, okay, he says, I'm going to follow you. I want to follow you, O Prophet of Allah. So he says that you can't follow me nowadays. Don't you see what the people of the Quraysh are doing to me? Don't you see what's happening to me? And in that day, there was only at the time that the Prophet was with Abu Bakr and with Bilal, radiallahu anhum and a few others of the people that believed with him. And so then he said to that, go back to your people. And then if you hear that I have become dominant, then come back to me. For either Then come back to me. This hadith is very crucial. And I, I was always, always very surprised that we have certain books about Tawheed, like the book of Muhammad al-Dawhab, which is the Kitab al-Tawheed. He didn't mention this hadith in the book of Tawheed. And uh, other books, I, I, I never read it in those books. And I found it in some of the, uh, you know, in since Sahih Muslim, but I, the explanation I found in some other uh, letters that were written by some of the ulama. But one of the crucial points that I want to mention about this hadith 
is the Prophet ﷺ is telling Amr ibn Abbasa, who is in a very new time of Islam, when Islam is very, very weak, he's telling you that, what have I been sent with? To gather the family ties and to break the idols. And to worship Allah, to make Allah one. Meaning make Allah, of course, in belief and in practice. And do not do any kind of associating partners. Was the Prophet ﷺ able to break the idols at that, at that time? Did he go out and break the idols? Of course he couldn't. He was in Mecca. So it wasn't that the Prophet ﷺ could break those idols, or he was breaking the idols. But nevertheless, he's telling Amr ibn al he's telling him that I've been sent with this mission. This is the mission that I've been sent with. And this mission, of course, is going to find a fulfillment. And it did find its fulfillment. But that was only after the Prophet ﷺ left the environment of Mecca. He found a group of Muslims who actually became his, the backbone of the Islamic army. And they actually protected themselves against any aggression. And built an Islamic society, the Islamic so-called government. And then actually went back and reconquered Mecca. And then, all, then at that time, cl- uh, cleansed the, uh, the, the, the Kaaba and the Haram of Allah. The place where Abraham had built with Ismail. Cleansed it of all the false idols that were there. Of course, what he was meaning that this person, Amr bin Abasa, you yourself, you break any idols that you have within your control. And that's why it was very important that the Prophet ﷺ says that, go back with the knowledge of Allah SWT and the worship of Allah. And when you hear that I have conquered, when I have become dominant, either zahartu, then you come back to me. This gives the very clear idea that one has to stay away from all forms of idol worship. Of course, at the time of the Quraysh the idol worship was the most dominant thing but if someone says this word La ilaha illallah and let's say he's a Christian he doesn't worship idols he doesn't have any idols but does that mean he doesn't have false worship of course we know he does have false worship the Prophet said this according to, to, to this man who was of the Arabs and the people around him their form of misworship the form of the thing which must be negated in order to become a Muslim, as I said, there's two pillars of us in Islam, in the Tawheed. The negation of worshipping other than Allah, you must negate that and believe that it has no worthiness of being worshipped because it has no power to be a God. It does not create, it does not sustain, it cannot give life or death. And then after that, you have to worship Allah in the forms of worship that Allah Taala has made, uh, has legislated to worship in prayer, in zakat, and so on and so forth. But if someone was like a Christian, like Eid ibn Hatim, when he came to the Prophet and he was wearing the cross, and the Prophet said to him, throw away, uh, Ya Eid, he said, what is this cross that is around your neck? And then at the same time, he was reading the verse, that, which said that, uh, that they have taken their, their, uh, their scholars Al-Ahbar and their Ruhban which are monks they have taken them to be lords other than Allah and Jesus Christ and they were only ordered to worship one God so Edi at this time and then the Eidi said to the Prophet ﷺ, this is a very important hadith in the sense that it explains a lot about the reality of the worship other than Allah, other than 
pagan idol worship. If he said, O Prophet of Allah, we do not worship our, our, our scholars, we do not worship our monks. And the Prophet answered him in a very crucial answer. He said that, is it not the reality that they legislate what is lawful and they make the lawful to be unlawful and they legislate and they make the unlawful to be lawful and then you follow them he said yes we do do that and that is their worship of them that is the form of them making them to make them to be lords other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala the idea of, of uh, Amr bin Abasa and the idea of them worshipping the forms, uh, the idols, that's one form of worship that was prevalent among the, among the Arabs. But this other hadith of Eid ibn Hatim, it gives the idea that people can worship other than just uh, idols. And that can be the, wor- the worship of man. And this is uh, one of the, of the uh, most important types of worship that people worship. Especially when you look at nowadays that you do not find many people who are the Muslims, especially upon people who would be, he considers himself a Muslim, he would go and worship, for instance, an idol. He would not do that. He would say that, no, an idol is not, is not worthy of worship. This is for Hindus. This is for Buddhists. And yet, they may follow someone who legislates that which is other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated and they follow them in that legislation and they become, they make them into a lord. Because the quality of a Rabb is that he gives sustenance, he gives life and death, he creates. And he also, he legislates, he gives the law, he gives the form of how to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And if someone follows that other form than that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated, then he's making them into a, uh, a lord. There's certain other hadiths which talk about the idea of wahada. In one of the hadiths it says on Abi Malik, which says, Samit the Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yaqul, Man wahada Allah, wa kafara bima yu'min min dun Allah, harama malah, wa dhammah, fa hisabu ala Allah. Which means that whoever makes Allah one, and he rejects that which is worshipped other than Allah, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made it un, uh, uh, he's made his, his blood and his, his, his money to be sanct, uh, sacred and that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will take care of his affairs will account for him will account uh, for his, his deeds and if he gives him the hisab or the accounting or the judgment then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will do that the idea here of course again we have the idea of the negative and the affirmative the kafara, that they deny and they reject that which is worshipped other than Allah, and they do and they worship only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Allah. And the word wahad Allah, as I said, it includes both the two pillars of the tawheed, which is the negation and the affirmation. The negating of that which is worshipped other than Allah, and the affirmation to worship only Allah. <coughs> As I said, the hadith of uh, Mu'ad bin Jabal is a, a very important hadith because it says that let the first thing that you tell them is the, to worship Allah or to do the tawheed. As the hadith says that لما بعث نبي صلى الله عليه وسلم معاذ إلى اليمن 
قال إنك تقدم على قوم من إحدى الكتاب فليكون أول ما تدعوهم إليه أن يوحد الله where he said that verily you are going to the people of the book and let the first thing that you call them to is the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala فإنهم عرفوا ذلك in one, one narration and if they know that in another narration it says وإنهم أطاعوك if they obey you the first thing is that they know it, they only know it, but they don't obey you. Of course, that is not the understanding which is meant. If they actually obey you in the fact that they are not going to worship anything other than Allah, and they're going to worship Allah. Once they do that, then it says, then let them know that Allah has made it incumbent upon them to worship Allah with five prayers during the night and day. And then if they obey you in that, then let them give the poor do the zakat. And it's, and it's taken from the rich of them and given to the poor of them and then be scared of the of the uh, of the curse or of the dawa of the supplication of that which of that person who is who is medloom who has oppression done upon him because verily there is no uh, there is no cover between that and Allah meaning that even a person of the Ahl al-Kitab if he raises a grievance against an unjust person, then verily his, his supplication will go up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he was warning Mu'adh against the supplication of someone who has had any oppression done to him. The point that I wanted to, to, uh, to mention is just like in the hadith of Amr bin Abbasah, he came to the Prophet and he asked him, what have you been sent with? He said that I have been sent with the joining of the ties and been sent with the fact of yuwahad Allah, of, of breaking the asnam. And, 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 and destroying our idols and to make Allah one he did not tell him about salat and that sitting he did not tell him about making the salat he told him to go back and when you've heard that I have become dominant then you come back to me and when he did come back to him of course the hadith is a very long hadith and it's in the, it's in the, uh, it's in the chapter talking about the times of the salat he explained to him explained to Amr bin Abbasah the times of the salat and about the salat because at that point, this is what he needed. The point to remember is that Amr bin Abbasah, for all those years, he was a Muslim, but he was a Muslim and he was upon the Tawheed. He was upon the idea that there is no one to be worshipped except for Allah SWT. And he was worshipping him with that which he knew how he should worship Allah SWT. This is why we say, and we always say, that it doesn't matter how much someone prays to Allah SWT. He can pray 50 times a day. But if he's also doing shirk at the same time, when he's making the prayer, then he's not fulfilled the condition of the tawheed. That's why it's very important for someone to understand that what it means when it says that you will make Allah one in your belief and in your worship. And you will not practice any forms of shirk which is the association of Allah in, uh, in worship or in belief. There's Another hadith, which is on Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas, that the Prophet ﷺ went by him, and he was, uh, he was doing the shahada. He was making the prayer, and he was wiggling two fingers. And the Prophet said to him, Ahad, Ahad, do with one, do with one. The idea of the shahada, it does not only have the idea of the inter, inner belief, but even the outward form of our doing the shahada, it has the idea of the tawheed. Doing it with only one finger. It just makes sense. You don't do it with two fingers, you do it with one finger. 
And this is something that the Prophet ﷺ even taught, uh, taught to his, uh, to his, uh, his, uh, his companions. Uh, there's another hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, where there are other hadiths, there's actually quite a few hadiths where the Sahaba mentioned where the Prophet ﷺ was calling to the Tawheed Allah, which uh, is mentioned, for instance, in Tirmidhi, where yani, and also in uh, Ahmed and other hadiths, where Jabir alayhi salam, uh, Jabir, the Sahaba of the the Sahabi of the Prophet ﷺ mentioned that uh, Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is going to punish those people. من أحد التوحيد the people of Tawheed in the hellfire until they will become like they are pieces of coal and then Allah Ta'ala is going to send the the rahma or the mercy to them because they were the people of Ahl al-Tawheed and then by the shafa'ah of Allah Ta'ala He will take them out of the hellfire and bring them into the paradise this is the idea which is mentioned in many of the hadith that the people who practice the Tawheed that they will have the shafa'ah of Allah where He will only punish them for their sins that were done of the category which do not include shirk. Because if someone has done any form of shirk, then this shafa'ah will not be reached to him. And this is something that we use to, that we, we, we mention over and over again because there's many of the people that believe that this shafa'ah it reaches to the people, even to the people who do shirk, even to the person who will call out to the saints who will be in the graves, or they call out to the Prophet and there's a common thing where they say, Ya Rasulullah, and they call out to the Prophet that please forgive me, O Prophet of Allah. And this is the idea that here they are, they are calling on the Prophet to do something which only Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can do. And so they're actually making him into a partner with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, thinking that he gives sustenance, or he gives health, or he gives forgiveness, or he can, uh, he can allow uh, me to have some kind of benefit, or, some, or, or turn away some kind of harm from me. And this is uh, the point where the, this hadith has mentioned specifically, where the, that these people who will have the shafa'ah, they reach them, they will be the people of Ahl al-Tawheed. And it's actually mentioned, the word Tawheed in the hadith. This is the point that I wanted to mention, because as I said, there are some people, they say that we don't find this, uh, this word Tawheed in the Quran and the Sunnah where I said Subhanallah it's because you have not really looked into the Quran and Sunnah that you say that you do not find this word uh, there's also the Hadith of Jabir which is a long Hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, he mentions that the Prophet ﷺ, when he went for the Hajj who أَحَلُّ بِالتَّوْهِيدِ لَبَّيْكَ لَهُمَّ لَبَّيْكَ لَبَّيْكَ لَا شَرِكَ لَكَ لَبَّيْكَ إِنِّي الْحَمْدُ وَنِعْمَ لَكَ وَالْمُلْكَ لَا شَرِكَ لَكَ uh, where the, he says that barely when the Prophet ﷺ used to go for Hajj, then he would make the tahleel and he would do he would start by saying the Tawheed. Then he explains what is the Tawheed, and when anyone who has gone for Hajj, it's the saying of Labbaik Allahumma Labbaik. And what does this word Labbaik mean? It means that I have accepted, I have answered your call, O Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. And this is someone that you, you, you say over and over again. I've answered the call. I've accepted. I am your servant of Allah. Oh Allah. In that I am your servant and you are, I'm a servant to you and there's no partner to you. And verily the, the praises and the blessings 
and the power and the glory and the government is all for you, O oh Allah. And this is the meaning of the Tawheed that is uh, mentioned. There's many other kind of hadiths that I said which actually mention this word, Yuwahad Allah or Tawheed itself. The, <coughs> the point that uh, there's a this point of uh, where, where we say that the uh, negative aspect and the positive aspect or the two pillars of Islam the pillars of the Tawheed as I said this is the idea of a kufr bil-ta'ud wal iman billah and it can come in the expression of worship Allah and do not worship anything but Allah and do kufr of the ta'ud wal iman billah and this word ta'ud is an important word to understand because the ta'ud that is mentioned where Allah says that he has sent into every nation a messenger to worship Allah and stay away from the ta'ud the word ta'ud has many comprehensive meanings many people know what the, who Allah is because by the fact that you're created you know who your creator is you may deny him later on but as the hadith says that everyone who is born he is born on the fitrah he is born on the natural inclination to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and that it is his parents that make him into be a, a Jew or a Christian or a, a Majus so everyone knows Allah but what is this idea of ta'ud as it is said in the Quran that the ta'ud can have many meanings and it is the ta'ud where you worship anything other than Allah but does it include someone like Jesus who is worshipped other than Allah because of course the, the, the Christians they worship Jesus but he is not a ta'ud because the condition of being a ta'ud is that someone has to either be quiet like a, an idol an idol that does not say anything as Abraham said that about these idols that when he went and he smashed all these idols and he said to the people that if, 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 if you worship these and you want to know what happened to them how they get smashed and ask them but since they were all quiet they could not deny the worship and these stones that are, are cut and carved by the people they did not ask to be worshipped but they are worshipped other than Allah so they do not have the power to speak and deny that whereas Jesus alayhi salam he rebuked the people who, who worshipped him. But if someone, he did not rebuke him, them, and he allowed himself to be worshipped other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then this is the idea of a ta'ghut. As it says, as Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, أَلَمْ تَارِ إِلَى ذِينَ يَزْعَمُونَ أَنَّهُمْ يُؤْمِنُونَ بِمَا أُنزَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ وَمَا أُنزَلَ مِنْ قَبْرَكَ يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَتَحَاكَمُوا إِلَى تَاغُوتِ وَكَدْ أُمُرُوا أَنْ يَكْفُرُوا those who claim to be Muslim to claim to believe of those who are among you and those who have come before you and yet they go and they want to take their judgments to the Taghut they want to take their judgments to have the Taghut judge for them and they have been ordered to disbelieve and to, not, to deny the Taghut this verse is related in many of the Tafsir books where it's mentioned that this specifically was an incident where some of the people 
among the Muslims who were, had the quality of hypocrisy, and some of the Jews, they had an argument, and they went, instead of going to the Prophet, peace be upon him, they went and they sought the judgment of Ka'b bin Ashraf. And that, the, the, yeah, that he was the Taghut that was mentioned in this context. Because they knew that he would not judge according to that which would Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, sent, has revealed. And this is the idea that someone who does not judge according to what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed, then he becomes the Taghut. And he is the one who knowingly does not judge and does not govern and does not make the judgment according to Allah's message. And the message, of course, is to worship Allah. But by the very fact that He is ruling by other than that which Allah has revealed, He becomes that these people worship Him. And this is what was mentioned in the first session when in the hadith of Eid ibn Hatim, when He said that these are the people that legislate other than what Allah has made, and they make what is halal. Lawful to be haram, unlawful, and they make that which is unlawful haram to become halal, and that, and then they people they follow them, and that becomes the form of worship of of them, because they have made themselves into be a legislator, just like a person who would come and says that I forgive sins, and the people will go and they will kiss his hand, and they'll believe that he is the one that if he says that you're forgiven, that you will be forgiven. This is often done in the Christian religion with a pope. He used to write what was you know, the, 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 write the forgiveness of sins to the people who used to give a certain amount of money to the church and so on. And he would actually try to say that, okay, okay, son, your, your sins are forgiven. Or they, to believe that he has any other power that actually he, a power which he does not have. And this are some of the forms where someone can actually put, put some person up to be in the place of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Someone might not even know that he is becoming a ta'ghut. He may not even have the knowledge that he is becoming a ta'ghut. And he would deny it. And he would give you a thousand denials that I am not, I'm not, I'm not a ta'ghut. But nevertheless, by some of those actions that he is doing, he is becoming and in in doing the act of a ta'ghut. And that's why the, the, the idea that someone should know what this ta'ghut is, because it is one of the conditions of doing the tawheed. Allah says that you must do the kufr ta'ghut in order to do the ibadat Allah. And to do the ibadat Allah, you have to stay away from all forms of the ta'ghut. In the ta'ghut, it can be the ta'ghut of the ibadah, where you worship someone like an idol. Because as Bukhari has mentioned, the, uh, uh, the, 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 the chapter of staying away from the ta'ghut, and he mentions that there was the ta'ghut of the tribe of Dos, the ta'ghut of Dos, which was the, the, the various... Uh, uh, idol of, the, of those people and so on and so forth that each tribe had its own idol but it also can be a leader among them who they follow like Ka'b and Ashraf where he was the leader and he would lead them astray to other than Allah's religion which is the worshipping of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala only and following the legislated forms of worship and the legislated forms of obedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and if someone worships uh, someone legislates other than that then he by he becomes a form of the ta'ghut. <coughs> I want to uh, talk also uh, today, I wanted to talk about the Surah Al-Fatiha. Because the, the Surah Al-Fatiha has a certain... It has built into a tawheed. 
and built into it the idea of worshipping Allah and not worshipping other than Allah. And it is also uh, one of the most important, as we know, everyone has to read the Fatiha uh, in order for his Salah to be accepted. And the Surah Fatiha contains Tawheed all throughout it, in every verse. Just like the Surah Al-Ikhlas contains uh, Tawheed in every manner. It also contains the idea of the Shahada. The Shahada that there is no one to be worshipped except for Allah. And in the four points of the idea of having the knowledge and also in having the, uh, the remembrance of Allah SWT and having the continual uh, proclamation of that uh, knowledge and also the action of fulfilling that in the deeds. <coughs> There's a hadith which is very famous about Surah Al-Ikhlas. It mentions that Surah Al-Ikhlas, is one-third of the Qur'an. One-third of the Qur'an. So the natural question becomes, if Surah Al-Ikhlas is one-third of the Qur'an, then what is this reality of Surah Al-Ikhlas? That all of one-third of the Qur'an is within uh, Surah Al-Ikhlas. And what are the other two aspects of the, of the, uh, of the Qur'an? Surah Al-Ikhlas, of course, is Tawheed. The idea that Allah is one. And the, the other aspect of Allah SWT, or the other aspect of the Qur'an, is that it is, it's, an order, it's an order to worship Allah SWT. The first you have the reality that Allah SWT is only one. And then the other thing that we have in the Qur'an is the order, to order us to worship only Allah. Because the Qur'an, throughout the entire Qur'an, Allah says, in Allah, And the third point is, what is the reward of those who worship Allah When we look at the Fatiha, we realize that this is exactly the blueprint of the Fatiha. In the most simplest sense, that Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim Maliki Yawm Ad-Din This is telling us who Allah is. He's giving us the traits of Allah SWT. This is the reality of the Tawheed. Just like Surah Al-Ikhlas is telling us about Allah SWT. Giving us the basic message of who Allah SWT is. And then the the verse was إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُوا وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ إِحْدِنَ الصُّرَاتِ الْمُسْتَقِينَ These verses contain the idea of that you worship only Allah SWT. Now that you know who Allah SWT is, then you only worship Allah SWT. And you make Him your... You, you worship Him only, and you make Him your Lord only. Not only do you worship Him and have your worship go to Him, but you seek only His aid, because you know that only He is the Lord and the Sustainer. And only He can guide you. Hadina Surat al-Mustaqim. And of course, then, after you know who Allah SWT is, and that you are worshipping Him, then there is the reward which is mentioned in, in uh, Surat Adina An'amta alayhim. And then it tells that these are, this is the reward of those who have worshipped Allah SWT after knowing who Allah SWT is. And that when we say, إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ the idea ayyak means is that it also has the, uh, the idea which I mentioned previously the exclusiveness the idea that you worship Allah and you worship no one other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you exclude the worship of all 
else except for Allah Ta'ala. Ta and then it gives the category at the end of the Fatiha, And this is the example of those who worship other than Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala, and they have the, either they do that through ignorance, or they do that through disobedience, even though they know that Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala is the one who only should be worshipped. <coughs> this uh, three categories the fact of knowing who Allah SWT is and then having the order to worship only Allah SWT and then the division of the people according to their worship of Allah SWT this is the blueprint of the entire Quran there's the uh, one verse in the Quran which sums up this entire uh, idea where Allah SWT says قُلْ إِن كُنْتُمْ تُحِبُّونَ اللَّهِ فَاتَّبِعُونِ يُحِبِّبَكُمَ اللَّهِ وَيَكْفِرْ لَكُمْ ذُنُوبِكُمْ This one short verse gives the same idea in a very succinct form. That it's also it's a conditional verse though. If you love Allah, then follow me. Then Allah will, uh, will love you and forgive you your sins. The same thing when we say that Rarely, if you love Allah, and when you say that Allah, Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen, Ar-Rahman Ar-Rahim, Maliki Yumad-Din, you are giving the, 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 the traits of Allah SWT, and the traits of loving Allah SWT, and proclaiming your love to Allah SWT. And then what is the consequences, and what is the actual uh, way of that? إِيَّاكَ نَعْبُدُ وَإِيَّاكَ نَسْتَعِينَ اِهْدِنَا الصِّرَاطِ الْمُسْتَقِينَ It is the way of the Prophet Wasallam. Because the, the Surat al-Mustaqim is the Surat which the Prophet taught. There's no other way to Allah SWT except for the Surat which he, which he came and he taught. And this is the idea of Ittabi'uni, then follow me, follow the Prophet. And then if you love Allah, and then you take that love of Allah and put it in the form of following the Prophet then the result of that is يُحَبِّبُكُمْ Allah. Allah will love you. And forgive you your sins. And it's just like the idea that you know Allah and Alhamdulillah Maliki And then that takes the form of only worshipping Allah and only seeking His sustenance and following the Surat al-Mustaqeem which He has sent, which is the way of the Prophet. And then the result of that is that you will be the ones that Allah has blessed. And you will not be of the ones that Allah His anger has been upon, nor the ones who have gone astray. This blueprint is so simple and yet it contains the exact same thing which I said about the Shahada. These are all very, very general uh, concepts which I wanted to talk about because it's the most general thing but it's the most important thing. And of course, when we mention these, uh, uh, we remind ourselves of these general categories and increase the Iman inshallah ta'ala by the remembrance of that which brings us closer to Allah SWT. The fact where someone says La ilaha illallah and he says before that Ashhadu an la ilaha illallah Of course, it has to contain, as I said, the knowledge of that shahada and then after that knowledge, it has to be put into practice. The same thing where someone, when he says that 
if you, if you claim that you love Allah, then follow me. And that following is actually the aspect of the action which someone continues to act out for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Tabuni, the idea of following the Prophet sallallahu And this is the same thing where in Ihdina Sasrat al Mustaqeen, the similar idea of the idea of a path which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made for us, which this is the path which will go to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The hadith of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains this uh, even more where it says, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, قَسَمْتُ صَلَاتِ بَيْنِي وَبَيْنِي عَبْدِي نِسَّيْنِ وَلَعَبْدِي مَا سَأَلْ It says that I have made my prayer or my salat two parts between me and my slave. And for my slave that which he asks. قَسَمْتُ صَلَاتِ which is, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is calling the Fatiha as-salat. Because why? Because it is a form of prayer. It's a form of dua. That's why at the end we say, Ameen. O oh Allah, accept our prayer. And that's why it is the first and the most greatest of the surah of the Qur'an. It's where it says, I have made the prayer between me and my slave two parts. So if my slave says, Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says to him, my slave has given me praises. And if he says, if he says, Ar-Rahman Rahim, then Allah subhanahu wa says that my slave has repeated the praises. Athna alayhi abdi. Athna means to sing the praises over again, to do it twice. And then if he says, Maliki yawm al-deen, he says that in a majadini abdi, that my slave has glorified me. These three things, of course, for Allah. Because these are things, as Allah said, that I have made my prayer between me and my slave. And so if he says, Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Amin, Rahman Rahim, Maliki, Yomadin, then these three things are for Allah. They are the, the, the praise of Allah, and the repeating of the praise of Allah, and the glorification of Allah. And then when the, when the slave says, Iyaka na'abudu wa iyaka nasta'een, then Allah SWT says, Hada bayni wa bayni abdi wa la abdi and this is between me and my and my slave. And what is mentioned that this is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is a, this is a section of this verse which is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That for me is for is the worship. This is for my slave. Because the slave, he is the one who asks Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the own, for the aid, for the sustenance, for the guidance. The rest of the surah is containing guidance and the ni'mah. And this is what Allah SWT sends down to his, his, uh, his worshipper. And then when the slave says, اِهْدِنَا الصُّرَاطَ الْمُسْتَقِيمِ صُرَاطَ الَّذِينَ أَنَمْتَ عَلَيْهِمْ غَيْرَ الْمَغْضُوبِ عَلَيْهِمْ وَالْضَالِينَ Then Allah SWT says, and, and this is for my slave, and for my slave that which he asks. This, in the Fatiha, and also in the verse which I mentioned, the, surat al, uh, the, the verse of Muhabba, which it says, if you love Allah, then follow me. Allah will love you and forgive you your sins. This is the same blueprint that we have, where it starts with the praise of Allah, and then the obeying of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and then when you take the praise of Allah and the love of Allah, 
and then you add it to the action where you are actually worshiping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and following the way of Allah, of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made and, and, and legislated for you, then you will get the, the, the actual result which is the ni'mat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is repeated over and over in the Quran. The same blueprint, the same form. A very small verse. Huge in the meaning. If you believe and do good deeds, you will have the blessing, the blessed paradise. Simple. As I say, that this concept is so simple and yet so crucial. Because if it's such a simple concept, that it's a concept that every Muslim should know. It's contained in the Fatiha. It's contained in many of the verses of the Quran. And it's contained in the Shahada itself. That the idea of knowledge should lead to action. And the idea of action with the knowledge, because action without knowledge does not have any, uh, any value, because it can be misled action. And that's why the Imam Bukhari, he has this chapter in his book where he says, in the chapter of knowledge before deed before deeds that if you put these two combinations together then you will get the reward which will be the ni'mat Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the blessings of Allah and the biggest blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he will enter someone into the paradise but of course when I mention the verse of the verse of muhabba it is not only that Allah SWT will enter into, into the paradise. Because Allah SWT mentioned, Allah. Allah will love you and He will forgive you your sins. And if someone has the love of Allah SWT, he has the love of Allah SWT, Allah is loving him in this life, even before the hereafter. Uh, these are some of the ideas that, inshallah, I wanted to mention today. And I'll close now and and open the uh, session to any kind of questions that the, the brothers or the sisters will, will have. Uh, the brother is asking uh, the question, what is the ruling about people who take the shahada but they do not pray regularly? Of course, this is a, a huge issue. Because everyone knows, everyone who is a Muslim, he knows that the Prophet ﷺ said that Allah SWT has built or made Islam to be built upon five pillars. Buniya Islam ala khams, which means pillars. Everyone has agreed that the meaning is pillars. Ashahada in la ilallah, wa iqam al-salat, wa ita' al-zakat, wa samur al-wadan, wa hajj al-bayt manasta' alayhi sabil. Islam is built on five pillars, which is the testimony that there is no one to be worshipped except for Allah, and that the establishment of the prayer, and the paying of the zakat, and the fasting of the Ramadan, and the making of the hajj, whoever has the ability. So the question actually is not only the people who do not make prayer, also the people who do not, say the person he makes prayer, but he doesn't pay zakat. What about the people who pay the zakat, but they refuse to do uh, fasting of the Ramadan, even though they have the ability? The person who refuses to make hajj. I actually met a man one time. He, 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 just, uh, he, just, he had a firm conviction that he's not going to go to hajj. 
If Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned that, or this hadith mentions that the Islam is built upon five, and all of the ulama have agreed that these are considered the five pillars of Islam, which are arkan, then I just mentioned the examples of what a pillar is. A pillar is that which, if it is there, then that thing upon which it is sustaining is there. If you take away the pillar, then that thing, it dies, or it is not there anymore. This is the idea that I mentioned about someone in his life. If you take away his head or you take away his heart, he's not, he's not alive anymore. If you take away his arm or his hand or his eyeball, then of course he's still there. But he is maybe deficient. But to be more specific, the issue of someone leaving prayer is an issue that the ulama have looked upon and there has been some different opinions. Some of the ulama said that these arkan, everyone agrees that if someone leaves the shahada, if he refuses to say the shahada, or he doesn't say the shahada, then of course this person is not a Muslim. Although there are some people that the question is, what are they, they add to the shahada? That's a different issue. Whereas the person, the person who abandons prayer, then you have to ask, what does he mean? How does he abandon prayer? Does he just pray sometimes and doesn't pray sometimes? Or does he refuse to make prayer? Or is it that he makes only once in a while, only Salat al-Eid, for instance? So it has to be the question of how does he abandon his prayer? Some of the ulama mentioned that if someone abandons even one prayer willfully, then he becomes a non-Muslim. He's done an act of shirk. Because there's a hadith that says, in, in, uh, where it says that the difference between us and them is the prayer. Whoever abandons it, whoever leaves it, fakat kafar. And in, in one of the narrations, fakat ashrak. And there's also the, uh, yani, uh, uh, and there's other, uh, many of the, uh, of the uh, arguments which prove that someone who abandons his prayer, he abandons the, uh, the, uh, he abandons Islam itself. Because if he has said that he believes in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then he also believes in that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent. And if he believes in that which Allah has sent, then he definitely believes that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has the major thing. The first thing that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has sent for a Muslim to do is to make prayer. And he knows that the Prophet ﷺ, he never abandoned prayer and he, he mentioned prayer all the time. And this is the idea is that he, if someone has made the shahada, he has actually witnessed something and he's witnessed the details about that. I'll give an example about that. If someone... Uh, he has Iman Billah and Iman Bil Salat. Some of the ulama have said that as long as he does not reject Salat, that he rejects that a Salat is incumbent upon him, he may do it sometimes and sometimes be negligent, that he's still a Muslim. But the question to be asked is that if someone believes in angels, for instance, he believes that there's angels, and he believes that those angels exist. He's believing in something which is a piece of knowledge, a piece of information. His belief is contingent upon affirming the reality of that existence. Whereas he says that he believes in Salat though, he's believing in something which is, contains an action that he must do, an order that Allah has ordered him to do. So if he, to believe in Salat, he has, he has to pray to, say, to prove that he believes in Salat. If he refuses to, believe, to, 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 to make Salat, 
then he's actually denying Salat, which is an act of kufr. And this is why many of the ulama have said, and it is, uh, it can be proven that this was the, the position of the Sahaba. Because we find many of the Sahaba mentioning that someone who leaves his prayer, he, he becomes outside the fold of Islam. Where we do not see any of the Sahaba taking the other position, which some of the ulama have said that if someone uh, abandons Salat, that he remains being a, a Muslim. Even though, he, as long as he doesn't deny the, uh, the incumbency of Salat. The same thing can be said for the Zakat, actually. One of the major arguments that people have mentioned about the Salat is that Abu Bakr, radiallahu anhu, when the tribes of the Bedouins, they refused to pay the Zakat, he fought against them. And he said, Wallahi, I am going to fight those which make a distinction between the Zakat and the Salat. And as Ibn Hajar has mentioned, that he, that Abu Bakr was making a qiyas, he was making a form of analogy, that because they have made a distinction between Salat and Zakat, and just like if they were to leave their Salat, we would fight against them. I'm going to fight against them for leaving the Zakat similarly. And there's the hadith that verily I have been sent. Uh, and then there's other uh, proofs, as I mentioned, which give this similar idea that Allah wants, that the Prophet has been sent for the people to worship Allah and to establish the prayer and to uh, pay the zakat. And if they do that, then their blood and their and their and their and their wealth has been made sacred. In other words, it cannot be taken. Which means, of course, that if they do not do that, then of course there has to be that their blood can be taken and their wealth can be taken. So how can it be taken unless they have abandoned something which is necessary and incumbent and and and, and, and uh, important to the point where their blood can be spilled and their wealth can be taken? Uh, this issue is uh, is so crucial that we find in Bukhari. And this is a, an important uh, hadith to mention in this context. As I said, there's many, many hadiths. You can maybe marshal 50 different hadiths to prove this point. But there's one hadith where the Prophet ﷺ, it says that the Prophet ﷺ, when he went for traveling to do the jihad, and he came to a village, he would stop and listen at the time of Fajr. And if he were to hear adhan, he would hold back. He would know that this, this, this village has accepted Islam because they're making adhan. And if he didn't hear Adhan, then he would, what? I'm sorry, uh, then he would make his attack. And so he came upon a village, and he heard, Allah Akbar, Allah Akbar. And so the Prophet said, Ala fitra. The person is Ala fitra. And then he said, Ashadu an la ilaha He said, Kharja min al-nar. This is a proof also that the people, if they do not establish the prayer, then they are the people that the Prophet would attack. And we know that the Prophet only attacked the people who were non-Muslims. Actually, Abu Bakr and Umar also, they only attacked the people that were non-Muslims. It was only Ali ibn Abi Talib, the fourth Khalifa, who had the... Uh, who, during his time there was the uh, differences among the Muslims and the fighting among the Muslims had actually happened.
Hopefully that will be enough uh, for this uh, time, inshallah. <coughs> Here's a very uh, dangerous kind of question. It says, does following the laws of the land have any meaning in Islam? Like if I am a lawyer, do I need to follow the U.S. Constitution? Is this Islamic or un-Islamic? I hope what I said today, and that's why I said it. Some of the brothers might be sort of angry. He's saying something, we already know it. This is just small things that we already know these kind of things. But I think it's very important to reestablish and restate these things. That what I had mentioned, when I mentioned the law, there's only one lawgiver. There's only one lawgiver. There's only one person to worship. There's only one person who gives us sustenance. There was only one person who we're going to stand up to on the Yom Qiyamah. And we have to remember that. If they allow in their law for there to be interest banking, and they allow homosexuality, and they allow a man and a woman to do as they wish because they're over the age of discretion, they allow abortion, that's not... We don't, we don't agree with that law. That's not our law. We don't follow that law. Because if you follow that law... How do you follow it? You follow it in your heart? You follow it with your lips? Without your heart? You follow it with your hands? Without your heart and your lips? How do you follow it? As I just mentioned, Islam contains something on your, li- in your heart, something on your lips, and something on your deeds. It contains all three forms. If any one of those are not completed, then Islam falls away. Unless, of course, Someone is under duress. Someone is under the condition of durura. Someone is under the condition of uh, dire necessity, durura. Or what's called ikrah, which is a compulsion. If someone is compelling you to do this, that if you do not do this, I will actually take your life or take your limb, cut off your arm or torture you, then under this condition, then there is some kind of... Uh, in a, uh, there is the, uh, the ruksa or the, uh, the, the ability to go against Allah's law and to follow the person that is coercing you. As the example of, uh, of uh, the Sahabi uh, Yasser, when they came, some of the people of Quraysh came to him and they were forcing him to dis- of disbelieve, in Allah, disbelieve in Allah and to reject Muhammad. And he, of course, he was, did not have the strength of Bilal. Bilal, of course, they tried to do the same thing. They tried to do the same thing to him. But he just kept repeating, Ahad, Ahad, Ahad. One, one, one. And as, 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 as it says, if I had, he said, if I had known another word which would have done more, made them more angry, which would have gotten them more angry, I would have said it. But this is the best word. Ahad, Ahad, Ahad. But then Yasser, not everyone can take punishment. Not everyone can take uh, uh, this kind of torture. Very few people have that strength. So under the condition of being tortured, he rejected Allah SWT and said some of the bad things that these people wanted to say. As I had mentioned in my talk, and the reason I mentioned it was for a purpose, that when the Edi bin Hatim, he came to the Prophet, and he, and he heard the Prophet saying the verse, that verily they have taken their scholars and their worshippers, their, their monks actually, to be their lords other than Allah and Jesus Christ. And they have been worshipped only to worship one. And so he said, that, wait a second. Um, in the idiom, of course. Wait a second, O Prophet of Allah. Uh, we do not worship them. He was thinking, of course, that worship contains bowing down. This is worship. But worship is more comprehensive than that. 
So the Prophet explained to him, is it not true that they make what is law, uh, legal? The legal thing. They make what is, what, is, what, is, what is haram, which is unlawful, and they make it lawful, halal. And they, they make halal, they make it haram. And he said, yes, they do do that. And then, and then you follow them. And then you follow them. Then you follow them. He said, yes, we do do that. And that is your worship of them. This is very clear point. Of course, it's understood that if a faqih, if someone who is a scholar, he misjudges something, he, 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 there's an issue in front of him, and he misunderstands this issue. He's meaning to say that which Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has mentioned in his Quran, the Quran, or meaning to say that's what he has mentioned in the Hadith, but he misquotes it or he misunderstands that, that issue. And so when he's asked a question about Allah's law, he, he has a misunderstanding of that law. This, is, this person, everyone has known, that, it's not, that that's not the person who is worshipping uh, or is, 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 is a form of being a lord and saying to the people that, that worship me and obey me and follow me other than Allah. Because he's not meaning to that. He's just a misunderstanding and he made a misjudgment. That's why there may be certain things that we say that the various ulama who have differences upon, uh, uh, among them in certain issues, it's not if you follow this person yet, you, yet you're worshipping that person. But we're talking about a person who knowingly is not following the way of Allah and knowingly is legislating something which is other than the, than the, uh, than the book of Allah. And this is why the, many of the Muslim countries who have uh, Muslim, uh, who the various, uh, the governments that rule those uh, countries and they legislate other than what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has legislated, then this legislation that they are making themselves to be lords other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Similarly, in this constitution, this constitution it is a secular constitution. It does not reserve the right of Allah SWT to have any legislation. As a matter of fact, man legislates. This the legislative branch, and they legislate as they wish. That's why things change. That's why in a very short period of time ago, if anyone, which is a big issue nowadays, the homosexual uh, any acts and, and homosexual marriages and something like that. Now it's become legally legalized. So if we follow that uh, law or that point, and of course we've gone directly against what Allah has legislated and which the Prophet has clearly explained. So if a person is going to be a lawyer in this country and uphold the laws of this country, then that's a very, very serious affair indeed. Because the point that Allah, the Prophet ﷺ, did he come and did the Muslims fight for all those centuries in order to bring a different system of law other than Allah's law? Or did he, or did it, should it be that the law of Allah should be in the land? The Muslims, we look around and we say, well, if this is true, then all the kinds of, many of the constitutions of the, even of the Muslim countries are, are they do not allow Allah's to be the law of the land. This is not going to be the case forever. Because we know that the, Allah has said that the Mahdi will come, for instance, that if Allah has just one more day of this Ummah to be left, then he will, he will make that day long and send the person who is the rightly guided person. And we also know that Jesus السلام, is going to return. It, it says that in the Prophet, uh, the Prophet has mentioned the Hadith where it says that, that, that verily it is about the time where, the, where Isa is going to come down and he will be in Al-Hakam, uh, he will be a judge. He will be a ruler actually. Adul, he will be just. 
and he will he will he will kill the swine and break the crosses because the cross is, is the form of the worship of the, of, the, uh, of the Christians. And then he will not accept the jizya. He will not accept the poll tax. Which means that he will not accept the laws of that which is around. It's not that he's abrogating the law of the Prophet because the Prophet is mentioning that this will be one of the acts of Jesus. So it's part of the, of, of, of the Sharia of the Muhammad, peace be upon him. This is, is an issue which, as I said, that's why I mentioned in my talk that it's not very obvious that people worship uh, idols nowadays. It's not a common thing. You'll see a, see a person who will go to you know, the Indian uh, uh, idol in the form of, of, uh, of, the, uh, of the elephant Ganesh you know, and, and worship him. You know, people know about But yet, the idea of worshiping men who come and legislate other than Allah has legislated and agreeing with that and allowing that to, to continue this is a very important thing. And if that person does it and he knows, he can become the ta'ghut. Because as I said in the, in, in the talk, يُرِيدُونَ أَنْ يَتَحَاكَمُوا إِلَى تَاغُوتِ وَكَدْ أُمْرُوا أَنْ يَكْفُرُوا They go and they seek the judgment of the man who is a ta'ghut, who has gone beyond his limits. And verily they were told to deny him and to reject him. This is the idea of worshipping Allah, is bowing your head, and worshipping Allah, in other words, accepting His law. Qubul to accepting that which Allah SWT has sent to us. What has He sent to us? He sent to us a whole system of life. Isn't it that we always say that Islam is a whole system of, of life? It is a whole complete set of laws, a complete set of moral things. That's when we say to people that what is the Islamic stance on such and such a point, and I go back to the point of homosexuality, we say, we say well, it's very, very clear. What is the point about drinking uh, you know, uh, liquor or, or having any kind of intoxicants? Islam is very clear. If someone allows riba and makes legislative, uh, which is the practice of, of having interest, and allows the interest-based banks and makes the, the rules and legislations which govern those things and allows that form, it's different than people doing that act in a secluded area or in an unlegal fashion, which happened all down through history. Of course, there were people who were doing all kinds of sins, but it wasn't legalized. But to legalize those things become very, very dangerous indeed. And if a person is doing it and knowingly doing it, then he can become a form of ta'ghut. And if a person knowingly allows and goes to seek those people's judgment, then he can become other people who seek the judgment of the ta'ghut. And it's nothing that we should be scared about in declaring either. It's something that should be known generally. Because the Prophet, because Allah has said that verily we have not sent we have sent in every nation a prophet huh, to, uh, to, with, with a word to worship Allah and stay away from the ta'ghut. Staying away from the ta'ghut, every ummah has said, and every prophet has said. So, of course, we have to know that this is what, I mean, Adam and Noah and Moses and Jesus and the Prophet, all of them have come with the same thing. And the ta'ghut can be this form of uh, the legislation and the laws which are other than Allah's laws. <coughs> Any questions about this uh, point? Anything more? I can feel the question even verbally. You know, we'll continue. There's a few, few more questions. Inshallah. This is a general question where it says, why is the word we use in the Quran and not the word I? I think you're referring to uh, the act where Allah sometimes mentions he speaks 
in what's called the uh, yani, uh, uh, the for, where it says Allah says like we this is the uh, linguistic form where someone like a king he says that if you do not do this we'll take care of you meaning that he and his his army and he, as Allah says that you do not know the army of Allah you know, that no one knows the army uh, except Allah you know, uh, that Allah SWT can mention for the for the mufakhama to make himself uh, more uh, in, in the ta'zim to make himself uh, more majestic he can mention himself not in the, in the form of, 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 of I but in the form of we it doesn't mean that it's a plurality it just means like as I said similarly the way a, a, uh, a ruler uh, a master a lord would say that he uh, or we will take care of this situation meaning he will send someone from his legitimate authority to take care of that uh, situation. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the crucial thing to remember is that when we worship Allah, we worship Allah as Him. That's why it says, فَعْبَدُونِي Then worship me. He doesn't say us ever when, in these verses. But when He sends down His sustenance, when He sends down His power, when He sends down His punishment, then He can send angels to, to do that. His Lordship can come through the agency of intermediaries. In other words, but the worship of mankind up to Allah SWT only goes in the words, in, in, in the idea of one. Uh, the other question that I have here in front of me, it says that, Brother, can you explain the hadith that is narrated by the companion uh, just before he died? Because he did not want to hold the hadith uh, to himself without transmitting it to the people. Okay, the hadith that this is mentioning, to paraphrase it, is that, that the Prophet ﷺ, uh, it's a hadith where he said that whoever says the word La ilaha illallah, then give him the glad tidings that he will go into the paradise. Whereas, uh, <coughs> then, uh, well, actually, the there's the narration where the Prophet ﷺ was sitting in the uh, in uh, in a hadiqa or in a uh, in a garden, and he said to one of his companions that whoever you meet at the door and he says la ilaha, then give him the glad tidings of the paradise. And but then he did this, and it was Omar, and Omar hit him, <laughs> hit him very hard. It was Abu Harayda, excuse me. This is another hadith, but of the same meaning. I just at this moment, this is what I remember. And so he came back to the Prophet and said, Prophet Allah, do not tell the people of this reality. That if they say, la, 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 then they're going to go to the paradise. Because if you say that, then they'll lean on that idea. They'll give up doing the deeds, and they'll take the, uh, the they'll become lenient, and think that just by saying this word itself, they will go into paradise without doing the deeds. Let them do deeds and worship their Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, as they can. And so Mu'adh, he took uh, 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 and, and the idea that it's the same idea that I, that I was mentioning that if people think it's a common idea that if people think that if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if, uh, if you can go into the paradise by only saying Shadu an la ilaha illallah and without doing deeds 
then people by nature they become lazy and they become negligent. And they think that even if they become negligent, it won't matter because just by saying Shadu uh, Allah, they're going to go into the paradise. So Mu'ad, he was uh, the hadith, is not uh, connecting in my brain, that Mu'ad, he related this hadith in order to explain to the people that this hadith is from the Prophet. And if someone does have, before he dies, he says the word Shahadu Allah, and he does do this testimony, along with the various conditions that I mentioned, then he will go to paradise. But he did not want to tell that generally among the general population, because they, by their nature, if they think that only by saying it, and not doing the deeds which it encompasses, and the deeds in which it, uh, it implies that they'll become negligent about their other duties. And, and there, there's another hadith which men, uh, says that verily the, the degrees of paradise are hundred different degrees. And let the people do all the good deeds that they can in order to go closer to Allah Because the closer you get to Allah, the farther away you get from, from the hellfire. And the farther away if you get from the hellfire, the closer you get to Allah. So the person is not as if he just, because he knows that Allah, okay, I can just stop doing deeds and, and sit on that, on that one fact or on that one deed. Because there's all the deeds are the ones that bring you closer to Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. This is a, another question where it says some Muslims consider some scholars to be saints as the intermediaries, intermediaries to Allah. Does this negate their tawheed? There's something that negates tawheed, and there's something which would uh, weaken tawheed. If someone makes an intercessor between him and Allah in any form of worship, then he has negated his tawheed. If he takes as Lord other than Allah, then he has negated his tawheed. Because if someone, for instance, takes someone, someone, someone to be a saint, and he is an intermediary, he's between him and Allah in his worship, then indeed, if someone, I'll give the example. If someone thinks that this saint uh, can give him uh, health, he has bad health. Say he has some kind of sickness. And if he goes to this saint, and, he, and this saint, he makes a supplication to heal him. Of course, the person thinks that he owns healing. He has the power to heal. He's thinking that he has the quality of being Lord, of being God in the sense of he, has, he can create healingness. He, can, he, can, he owns the fact that he can heal. He has the power to do that. But his asking him to do that is a form of worship. So he, he bases the asking on the belief that he is the power, he has the power of that lordship. So it's connected to the idea that he believes in the rububiyah of that saint, in that one fact, that's for instance of the fact that, that, that he gives health, for instance. Or in this sense, that he is an intermediary to Allah. This, could, this question might mean that, in the sense that, that the people that would go and say that this saint, if I pray to him, then he'll pray to Allah to forgive me. And this is a very common thing. They take him to be an intermediary in this sense. The Prophet ﷺ has, uh, has uh, this sometimes is called a tawassal, the idea of a wasila. But the wasila that the Prophet ﷺ and his companions practiced, it had only three components. That you did, that you 
got closer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by doing good deeds. You, you yourself doing your good deeds. And then you're saying to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala by, by the fact that I have done such and such I ask you to forgive me or I ask you to heal me. Or by the agency of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala oh, by Allah, by the fact that you only give the, uh, the sustenance and the razak me by the fact that you give the sustenance then forgive me. One of your names is the person who gives sustenance so you give me sustenance. So this way you're, you're, you're coming and you're getting closer to Allah and asking by that very trait that He has. And the third matter is that you would ask someone else, you would ask a Muslim, oh Muslim brother, make dua for me. That's allowed for someone to ask your Muslim brother to make your dua for, uh, for you. And to call upon Allah to heal me or to you know, sustain me or to give me something like this. But that is conditional. That number one, that person has the ability to call out. In other words, he has the ability to, to call upon Allah. The, a person who is dead, does he have that ability? A person who is dead in his grave, does he have that ability? When we go to a grave, we're supposed to call and make dua for, that, for the forgiveness of that person. When we go and we say that the Prophet ﷺ said that make your salams to me, because verily your salams, sallallahu alayhi wa come to me. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives my soul back to me such that I can return your salams to you. The hadith of the Prophet that say salam to me because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given me that when you say your salam to me sallallahu alayhi wa sallam Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala returns his soul into his body so that he can return your salams. This is the hadith is well known in the sahih. This shows that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given the miraculous nature of the Prophet, and everyone has agreed that this is only for the Prophet, it's not for other people, that he can return your salams. Does he give you, does he accept your other prayers? And, oh Prophet Allah, it's, it's only for salams. Are we saying that the saints are greater than the Prophet That these saints in the grave, that we can call on this saint, and he's going to uh, and make him an intermediary between, between yourself and Allah. This is actually the, a person of someone who's calling on someone other than Allah. And this is a form of, uh, a form of uh, shirk. And this is why we say that, that, that the people sometimes, by a little bit of misunderstanding, of a little bit of this tawheed, a little bit of this shahada, a little bit of worship Allah and do not worship other than Allah. But a little bit of misunderstanding of what is the nature of Allah's lordship, that it includes legislation, the right to, to, to give the law, and only He gives law. All man-man law is false. If people just misunderstand these things a little bit, sometimes they may be doing a form of innovation or a form of shirk, and they do not even know it. That's why it's very, very dangerous uh, in, this, in this manner. So if anyone makes someone as an intermediary between him and his worship of Allah, then he's done a form of shirk. This is exactly what the Christians do. They take Mary, or they take Jesus, or they take the other saints to be saints. Uh, and, they, and to be, uh, you know, God's other than God. Because a God is that which is worship. You, you direct your worship to Him. The saint that was in the grave, for instance, you have taken him as an object of worship by the fact that you called to Him. Oh, so and so, give me, uh, give me the, uh, give me, uh, for instance, health. But you've also taken him to be a Lord, to be a, a Rabb, to be a Lord, because you think that He has that power. So it contains both forms of shirk. The shirk of ascribing a partner to Allah in his lordship and the shirk in the fact that you are calling upon other than Allah. 
or doing any other form of worship uh, to Allah. And this is, a, this is a very famous thing in the Muslim world. We have uh, many places in the Muslim world where people actually do this. As I think many people of the Pakistani background here, in the Masjid, they may have heard of Dada Ganj Baksh, yeah, the famous uh, grave of Ali Juraidi in, uh, in Lahore, where the tawaf around his grave it never stops. And people always are making prayer to the grave and giving him money and so on and so forth. And this is the example of making him an intermediary. And they say, you know, Dada Ganj Baksh, he is the something that gives you. He gives you. He's the one who gives you something from his... Uh, from his, uh, his his kunz, which is, uh, you know, his, uh, his, uh, his treasures. Whereas we say in the Prophet himself, and all, all of the Sahaba, they did not own anything of, a, of them and themselves. Even their iman, even their belief, is a gift from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how, how do they control anything? The Prophet says that all of our, uh, all of our hearts are between the, uh, the two, uh, uh, are between the, uh, on the fingertips of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He can roll them uh, this way and that way as he wishes. In other words, towards belief or towards disbelief. So even the belief or even a, 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 or the disbelief is, is the gift of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So how can a saint give anything when he does not control anything? <coughs> uh, any other questions? Insha'Allah ta'ala. Jazakum alaikum. Subhanakallah.